This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here with Terry South and Jeff Simpson. The gang's here gathered to uh, to do it again. We're at it. It's Monday morning, and we got to talk NFL. We got to talk uh, President Trump. What is what's going on? Is he crazy? No. Is he just creative? Yes. We'll talk to Joe Cannon, our Washington insider. He'll give us uh, his take on it. I mean, something he's he must be trying to grab his base. Right. Because he somehow I don't know. It seems like he's he's after his initial base. Yeah, exactly. You know, he picks a uh, topic that will energize them and um, and, and finds a new, I guess, enemy to point a finger at. Yeah, that's kind of what he looks for. He's officially taken on like Hollywood. I found a list yesterday of all the people he's gone after, except for uh, what do they call it? S- straight, white, male, <laughs> Christian. That's basically the group. That's that who he's, he hasn't gone after. That he's that's his base, and then everyone else he's attacked. Hmm. I would love to see him go after Charlie Sheen because Charlie Sheen is the other celebrity that is always so adamant about the fact that he's winning. Ah, yes. Boy, that would be a throwdown, wouldn't it? Sheen Trump. I mean, really, this. Do you remember the old days when they used to have the claymation? uh, Oh, celebrity death match. Celebrity death match. Mm. Oh, yeah. But no one needs to die. Just a celebrity, you know, battle. It's a clay thing, yeah. Yeah. Just a little. It's just clay. clay And it was highly entertaining. (laughs) It it seems like um, hopefully Joe can give us some more insight to it. Because did it also take our eye off the ball? It seems to have because. Oh, yeah. Wasn't there a health care bill supposedly going through? Well, you talked about winning. And I read many things talking about this this very conveniently deflect your attention from a health care bill that probably at this point looks like it yeah. may not pass. DOA. Um, there's a primary in Alabama yeah, yeah. where Trump is supporting the guy that's way behind in the numbers. Right. And he's like, oh, but then he's come out and said, oh, it's fine. I like the other guy too. You yeah. Know? Once he saw the numbers, he was like, oh, wait a second. I like that guy. That's I, mean, I, win. I, I was supporting the other guy, but I'm okay <laughs> with either guy. And then the just constant drumbeat of the Russia investigation. Oh, is that so going on? More things come out and more just step after step after step. And it just, he just all of a sudden in the middle of a, he was actually in a campaign rally for Luther Strange, who's yeah. the uh, underdog, I guess, at this point. The Alabama the, uh, underdog. Alabama for Jeff Sessions' seat in Alabama for the Senate. Is this Dr. Strange, by the way? No, it was not. Okay. I went, I went to see maybe this guy would be kind of a fun <laughs> part of the story if his name was actually Dr. Strange, but. He's I'm not a doctor. I couldn't see if he had a PhD. He's probably, he's probably a lawyer. He's probably a lawyer. So, you know. I mean, they're, they're a pseudo doctor. They're a jurist doctor. Yeah. Mm. It'd be like strange Esquire. So it's not yeah. really as interesting <laughs> that way. But uh, so here's President Trump's comments that caused all the uproar. He's play what clip for it. Wouldn't you love to see one of these NFL owners when somebody disrespects our flag to say, get that off the field right now out he's fired he's fired wow no i love the sensor beep because it makes it sound mm. really insidious 
Yeah. I don't know if it really was that bad, but we can't air it here. Yeah. It sounds – yeah. Nor most just, radio stations can ever play that on the air. It's not something the president would normally say. A, a president, not the president, not the current president, but no. it's not something presidents would say. What if it was just gentlemen? Get that gentleman off the field. Get that buddy out of here. Right. So in no. saying that, all he did was incite – more protests. Yeah, it seems like fewer people were protesting than taking from a knee. Six people last week to 200 on knees this week. Entire teams, almost. Teams decided not to come out yeah. for, the, for the national anthem. All the networks usually skip the national anthem. They go to commercial and then come back afterwards. Mm. They all went right to the national anthem. They, <laughs> they, used, they promoted it on uh, Sunday Night Football. Yeah, does he not realize that this will actually make more money for all of these organizations? And then he was, he was later in the day, he tweeted out saying, it's great to see everyone locked arm in arm. I, standing up, I, I think that's better. It's like, uh... that, that's in protest of you. Yeah. That's can't, not, you know. Can't they find another way to protest Trump other than protesting the national anthem? Well, you would think so. Well, but he also the, said don't. He basically was saying protest the NFL. Like yes. walk out. If people, if they're going to have players take knees and they're not going to do anything about it, just walk out of the stadium. I mean, you don't, you don't ever suggest, do you, as the president of the United States, that you protest by no. not supporting organizations. In fact, there, there was a president rather recently that a town hall meeting was asked about this exact question. Yeah, I remember and, that president. And, and he had an answer. President Obama had this to say, uh, try, uh, go with, uh, he, now he started out saying that uh, the importance of honoring the flag, why yeah. you do that. There's people out there that are fighting for our country so that we have the rights that we have. The flag is a symbol we use to honor our military and honor that, yeah. that situation. He acknowledged all of that. And then clip two. And the test of our fidelity to our Constitution, to freedom of speech, to our Bill of Rights, is not when it's easy, but when it's hard. We fight sometimes so that people can do things that we disagree with. But that's what freedom means in this country. In, in a democracy like ours... There are going to be a lot of folks who do stuff that we just don't agree with. But as long as they're doing it within the law, then we can voice our opinion objecting to it. But it's also their right. There you go. Isn't it a little misguided, though? Like I said, why the national anthem? Why not take to Twitter or to oh. come up with some other way to protest Trump? Well, sure. I mean, like, go they're have an event. They're not protesting Trump. They're not? The origin of this is police brutality. That's, that's what, what the protest was. Well, that was, was what the original protest was. Yeah. Yesterday's so, protest was really Trump. Well, sure, because he said yeah. the things he said about the original protest. So it's yeah. kind of evolved to this other thing when the it's, original idea is people were protesting, but in the, in the sense of they just took a knee. They didn't say anything. Right. It wasn't like they're running around you know, screaming in people's faces. They simply took a knee. And people lost their minds. Oh, yeah. And then, but boy, did you see Army veteran Alejandro Villanueva, Villanueva from the Steelers? The only guy from the Steelers. The entire team stayed in uh, and basically sat out of the national anthem. And Villanueva came out and uh, stood now, we don't know by what, himself. We don't know what the internal issues on the team were. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, if you come out and stand there, are you supporting Trump? Well, he if you two... take a knee, are you against Trump? I well, mean, what are he's, he's, so... but, he, but he's also a ranger, and he's well, a in special. His situation, yeah. yeah, he's two two tours to Afghanistan, so they're not going to mess with him. No, and they're not going to. But they, they they probably even respect it. I mean, can you imagine how hard that is? 
What do you do? Do you again? He's another. You want part, to support your team. He's another part of the team, and you have this internal conversation going on yeah. with conflicting ideas and coaches looking at it like we just want to play a game. Yeah, that's you know. But I guess that is the that's what we can, I guess talk to Joe about is is this is leadership stirring the pot this way, or is leadership finding a way to lead it and and and, and make and maneuver through it, at bringing America. And of together. course, all this started. With uh, Steph, or Steph Curry from the yeah. uh, Golden State Warriors being asked, as the champion of the NBA, normally you visit the White House, do, would you want to do that? And he goes, if I had a vote, which he does, uh, I would say no. I'd say yeah. let's skip it. And uh, then the team came out soon after saying they're going to skip the going to the White House. And then Trump tweeted out that he's rescinding the invite. Yeah, then LeBron James got involved saying, how stupid is it that you're rescinding something they already said they don't want? Yeah, that they're rejecting. And then, then it just sort of boiled up from that there. That seemed and to then, have really made him mad. And then maybe that's what caused the NFL outburst. Right. And then later, Steph Curry was asked about it again. And he said, it's kind of not really a, a leadership quality to go about it in this way. Yeah. Because maybe you should. I don't. You know. I don't know what the. How, do you react to that? Do you say anything? Do you just Boy. move on. Does he? But he, he's now upset Hollywood, major. Yeah. Even though SNL made a lot of money. They were on upset him. before. Yeah. Uh, it's not. Now. And now um, uh, Congress, of course. Yep. I mm-hmm. guess the GOP's numbers are an all-time low. Yes. Never lower than right now, and yet uh, now he's ticked off the NFL. And the NBA. Mm-hmm. I can understand why everybody would lose their mind over these players taking a knee. I mean, how many times have you decided to take a knee at home or just take a rest and your wife just goes nuts? I know. It's like I, all I want to do but is just take I'm a knee. I'm slaving I, all day. I, I guess the bigger question is can you be patriotic and take a knee? Because it seems like people are saying you take a knee, you hate your country. Well, I mean what hmm. we ought to do is ask them what they mean. And they've yeah. expressed that what they're meaning is that they live in a country where they feel like uh, that there are people like them that are not being represented when it comes to the way police are interacting yeah. with them. And they feel that's wrong and they don't feel like there's any other recourse because when these police go up before like a review board, yeah. they're all exonerated, every single one. And so he's bringing attention to the cause by simply taking a knee and Colin Kaepernick has never given an interview on this right he's never talked to anybody he simply took a knee by the way Colin Kaepernick wasn't taking anything no he wasn't even playing yesterday yeah are they doing it just because that's the most public venue for their it seems like probably except they also have a lot of power too and a lot of you know they they could probably do other things I'm sure. Hopefully, they are. They are yeah. right. Like hopefully, Colin Kaepernick. There's tons of money he's donated, and he's you could out. also you could also be, you know, meeting with the right people, talking to the right people, creating a movement about it. You know, the take a knee movement or there, something. I mean, yeah. they move I, it somewhere. It's it's just it's interesting. At the same time, uh, we've applied the military with the flag, and so that's part yeah. of the conversation. Also, then there's yeah. a there's a conflict with the fact that the Military pays the NFL for all those patriotic displays uh-huh. that are put forth at the beginning that. of every game. I was reading yesterday in 2009, most players didn't even come out. The national anthem with players standing at the side of the field, that whole ceremony thing they do wasn't part of the game. They played the anthem, but the players weren't really on the field. Oh, yeah. It was more 
more after we started, you know, in, after 9-11. We're actively in wars, then we started having this more of a patriotic display, and that's when the military started kind of funding these patriotic displays. So. Well, you're gonna you wonder what's going to happen to ratings, what's going to happen to these organizations, because. Sure, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people like it, but are they NFL fans? Are they the ones paying for the jerseys? Are they, who's, you know, somebody buys these jerseys. The main thing the NFL needs to do is stop just running a four-yard play and then playing really conservative. Just go out there and throw a bunch of touchdowns, because you can. It'd be super interesting. Just make it interesting. Make it more exciting. I think it's more the product on the field that they're... uh, they're not playing as they probably should. There was a game last Thursday where they scored, what, 80 points in the game, and everyone was like, yay, except you had two teams with bad defense, and those offenses <laughs> aren't going to score that many points. You know, it was just, oh, it was a, wow. the, the event looked, it was more exciting because there was a lot of action out there where most of the games were just kind of boring. Well, oh, it's just such, it's such a complicated issue, right? Because then there, it's everybody else saying, well, yeah, but some of you people are in trouble legally mm-hmm. and wife beating and. Sure. Yeah, they probably sound just like that too. Yeah, exactly. the people making that, yeah. those complaints. That's what, yeah, ESPN commentators sound like. I guess I don't know. I don't know. It's um, it's hopefully Joe can give us some insight as to what's going on with the president. Plus, with Kim Jong Un, he's still out there. He is, and they're that ratcheted up the name calling. So, gangster. I think he yeah. called Trump a gangster. Yeah. Some it was really quite really. interesting over the weekend. And deranged. Uh, there was and a, there a gangster. Was a, there was a new that. term that was coined. Yeah. Well, an old term. Re- it was an old term that no one really knows about. Yeah, and so everyone was looking uh, do- to the do- dotard, something like yeah. that. Yeah, and everyone was looking. It means a form of imbecile. Yeah. Like, mm. Wow, you used a word really? nobody even knows. Good job, North Korea. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's a word a lot of our pe- a lot of the commentators love. A lot oh, of yeah. people are saying it now. So should sure. we not dote on our wives? Uh, I don't know. I just don't think you should be a dotard. A dotard. D-O-T-A-R-D. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. We'll find out. We, we could even ask Joe about that. Uh, lots of interesting stuff straight ahead. First, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. What headlines have you not covered yet? Terry? So other than that, one woman dead, seven others injured in a shooting at a church in Nashville, Tennessee. According to the Nashville Fire Department, the shooter was among those wounded. The incident occurred at the Burnett Chapel Church of Christ in Antioch, which is 30 minutes mm. southeast of downtown Nashville. Fire Department described it as a mass casualty situation. All the victims are over the age of 60 except one. In a press conference, a police spokesman told reporters of the church's usher, 22-year-old Robert Engel was the hero. We'll have him as our oh, cool. hero of the day. I gave yeah. you that story, so we can get into that more. Um, he was able to physically engage the shooter during the struggle. The shooter was shot. Uh, Engel was also injured in the struggle and was being treated at an area hospital. Just he walked in and started shooting But people. he's alive, huh? So he's alive. They were able to detain him. Uh, citizens of more than a half dozen countries will face new restrictions on entry to the U.S. under a proclamation signed by President Donald Trump on Sunday that will replace his existing travel ban, which wasn't a ban, except he kept calling it a ban. But Yeah, not a ban, just a, a, a serious um, slowing. The new rules, which will <laughs> impact the citizens of Chad, Iran, Libya, North Korea, Somalia, Syria, and Yemen— and some from Venezuela will go into effect October 18th. Ah, see, not a Muslim ban. There you go. It's in every, I don't know, bunch of countries. The restrictions range from an indefinite ban on visas from citizens of countries like Syria to more targeted restrictions 
Um, so, we'll so I mean, South Korea and uh, or North Korea and Venezuela not Muslim countries traditionally. No, but see, so this isn't a Muslim ban. No, it's an all persons ban. See, they all persons. They could have done that from the beginning. Yeah, so, to, to keep their you know their case that it wasn't right. a Muslim ban. Uh, and finally, David Mead, the Christian numerologist, self described oh, yeah. researcher, said December twenty third, which was mm-hmm. Saturday, was foretold uh-huh, yeah. to be the end of the world with a planet that dubbed Planet X crashing into our planet, causing <gasps> I think he meant iPhone X. Could have been. He could have got the iPhone X and Planet Maybe, X mixed up. I mean, that up. happens. It's a big deal. Uh, but as you may have heard, the destruction of the planet didn't happen. Oh, I didn't hear that. Yeah, if you're just aware. Just breaking news. I was watching the NFL, so it seemed, like, it seemed like it was going to die. Mead has since clarified, saying that October will be the month of action. <laughs> the world is not ending, but the world as we know it is ending, he told the Washington Post. Oh. A major oh. part of the world will not be the same beginning at the, be- the same beginning in October. I think that was last November. Yeah, he said a seven years of war and disaster will begin on October 21st. I have this conversation with my wife all the time. It's like, oh, no, no. I didn't mean I would clean the bathroom like in two days no, I meant on Wednesday. In I meant, October. I meant next Wednesday, not the next yeah. Wednesday. Yeah, Come yeah, on. yeah. Sometime in October, the bathrooms would have a change. <laughs> wow. He has to back it down now. Yeah. But he's been doing this. I Last week I was telling you there's four or five other incidences where he had come out and said, yes, this is happening. And then, okay, it didn't happen. Well, we're going to just kind of adjust our numbers here. At and... what point do you just give up on numerology? I mean, his version of it. I'm not sure. Because there's you... lots of numbers. No, it seems like you can only be wrong so many times before everyone's like, Neh. wrong. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait. <laughs> okay. That's true. Good point. Yeah, very good point. Boy, I didn't know Donald was still on the show. Well, he pops his head in every once in a while. Yeah. As he should. Well, let's see. I mean, it's uh, th- we're running out of people that he can take on. Oh, he'll find somebody. You know? There's like, always somebody. He's taking on the CEOs. Hmm? I mean, really. And they all left. Yeah. And now he doesn't have any CEOs to help him if he has some initiative he wants to put forward. Hmm. It's helpful to have people that aren't in your administration who agree with you. He's he's really only been on the job 11 months. Mm-hmm. It's day 250. Oh, wow. Over the weekend? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, Charlie Sheen is out there waiting somewhere, and when that battle Wait. commences, it's going to be insane. <laughs> Maybe he'll run for president. Could be. Is Kanye still in? He has not He has not stepped out. That I've heard. I think he's still maybe... I guess we have to wait for the next awards so we can we're, see We're when still he... on the exploratory committee yeah. stage, probably. Boy, oh, wow. Remember when, remember when politics was so boring? Do <laughs> you remember those days? It used to be such a boring thing. I don't think that time has ever existed. Oh, no, it has. Yeah, it was... I think they called it Bush 1. Really? It was a little bo- more boring then. Because pre- President Reagan had left. He was done. Then Bush one came in. Then it got the people thought it got boring. Then President Clinton made it more exciting. Well, he pulled out that sax, and the rest was history. Oh uh, yeah, once you play, a, he a, won. Once yeah. he pulled out the sax on Arsenio. Once you're on Arsenio, that changed the entire game. And then you pull out a little saxophone. Yeah. Oh, well, and then some other stuff. He had other scandals as well. Uh, anyway, we'll have Joe Cannon, our Washington insider, Joe in the know. He's going to walk us through, hopefully, some answers, if there are any. A lot of times with President Trump, it's just, I don't know what he's thinking. We'll see what Joe's take on it is. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.
Welcome back, friends. Uh, you know, crazy political world we're living in now, and uh, who better to walk us through it than Joe in the know, we call him. Joe is our Washington insider. Joe Cannon is, is his name. And again, has uh, just is really well connected in the world of politics. Um, and we like to have him on the show every week to pick his brain, to think, to find out what he thinks is going on and uh, what he's hearing, you know, maybe behind the scenes in some situations. Joe, are you there? I'm here. How are you, my friend? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. Hey, first, congratulations to your Dodgers. Well, so far so good. Yeah, I mean they they managed the greatest collapse in yeah, what's, baseball history, but they came back and they clinched their they clinched their their playoff berth, right? That's right. There's certain they've clinched that, and they uh, have still have a pretty good chance of having the home field advantage all the way through. Mm. Although Cleveland Cleveland is very very close to them right now. So oh yeah. yeah, the Indians. Yeah. What are you going to do? They just keep winning and winning and winning, and the Dodgers yeah, keep struggling. Yeah. Oh, well. Luckily, they had a good lead. Hey, uh, speaking of sports, I don't know if you heard anything about this uh, this weekend, Joe. The NFL, uh, in, a, in a bit of an uproar with President Trump. Oh, man. I know you're asking me to be a, an expert. I'm not even really an expert on politics that you keep saying, but I'm for sure not an expert on Words. Wow. But wow. Why did he you know? say anything? I mean, he, he I don't understand it. His his friends, he likes these sporting groups. I mean, he's is he it's got to be something about his base. I don't know, because a lot of his base are also big NFL supporters. I, I don't know. I would I would just say when I you know heard the remarks that he made, I guess he started this thing on. Friday night. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it was Friday, I guess. Anyway, Friday night, I think in Alabama, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. yeah. A speech supporting uh, Luther Strange against uh, Moore, which is, by the way, in its own self kind of interesting because Judge Moore has much more support of the base, of the Trump base in Alabama than Luther Strange. Wow, really? So there, there's a lot going on there. That's, that's a different subject. But but I guess he made this comment about the NFL, and uh, I don't know. When I first heard it, I was struck by a scripture, which actually I first thought about in connection with Lyndon Johnson many, many years ago hmm. in connection with Vietnam. But uh, it's Proverbs, Proverbs twenty six seventeen: He that passeth by and meddleth with strife not belonging to him is like one that taketh a dog by the ears. Mm. And it seems a little bit like, <laughs> why is the president doing that? Yeah. You know, since then, I've read a lot just because I knew you were going to ask me this question, I guess. Yeah. But, um, wow. I mean, I think the best, the best quote I saw was in the New York Times. They, 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 they interviewed a bunch of, of, uh, of sports fans, you know, at football stadiums. And the best quote I saw was from, um, guy named Joe Barone, a 27-year-old accountant, and he said, quote, both sides are wrong. The players should respect the flag, but Trump should, shouldn't have called the players what he did. Right. And I think, you know, I think the whole thing is right. I mean, I, most people, most of the time, were pretty negative on the players' actions. I mean, they were, they, the state of play was that most fans were feeling like, and this is based on surveys, 
uh, as well as crowd reaction, that most fans didn't like the politicization of uh, of the NFL. But yeah. on the other hand, what what is the president of the United States doing entering that particular fray in, in such a you know particular way? Not just his talk, but then his tweets, and then suggesting uh, a boycott and. I mean, suggesting walking out on these games if the le- if the owners aren't going to do something, it it just seems so, it seems so extreme. And then it went from maybe a handful of people that were protesting every Sunday to you know two hundred plus people 200. and teams. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It was interesting. I mean, the, actually, the New York Times again listed every single game and which teams. Did what? It was pretty interesting. Almost all teams had some show of unity against Trump, but it looked to me like most of the teams still, most most people on most teams stood uh, uh, and respected the national anthem. Hmm. But but there but I think the locking of arms with the owners and the players uh, wasn't about the national anthem. It was right. about solidarity against. Uh, Against the president, and you're right. A lot of the owners support uh, are big supporters of Trump. So I don't know. So, so you don't really get a sense say, where it's coming. Like I mean, I would think he'd be trying to target somebody, but I mean, really, he also got in the big fight with the Warriors uh, basketball team and Steph Curry, which then led to LeBron right. James coming out tweeting. Right, and and of course Curry is. You know, a really nice, lovable yeah. guy, and and a huge, you know, unbelievable basketball player. So, uh, I mean, to be fair, I, I do think that one is has, there's two sides to that story. I think I'm a big fan of Steph Curry, but uh, um, he's trying to have it both ways. I mean, you know, being okay, I'm going to use this opportunity to smack the president in the nose, and you know, I. I don't know. There's no winner in that in that mm. side either. I did want to say one thing just before we left yeah. the NFL that I thought was, I in in searching all the stuff, getting ready for this call, I ran across this video of Alejandro uh, uh, Villanueva. Yeah, yeah, Villanueva. Yeah, and I that was beautiful. He looks almost exactly like one of my sons. He has a big beard, just like that. Mm. Looks a lot like him, but really, I got kind of goosebumps. Yeah, this guy. You know, standing there, well, I'm getting goosebumps right now. You know, hand over his chest. I I googled the guy. You know, he's had three tours of duty in Afghanistan. He has a bronze star. Hmm. He went to the you know to West Point, played football at West Point. A ranger, uh, yeah, yeah, just a, an amazing guy in and of himself. And I think that took enormous courage to stand out against all. That was one of the few teams where. Every single player, except him, uh, Alejandro, um, stayed stayed in the locker room. So I thought it showed a lot of personal courage yeah. uh, on his part. It was really kind of a nice moment in, in an otherwise crazy. Uh, I mean, the problem is this is emblematic more and more and more of the divide in our country. Mm-hmm. And this, this happens to be a divide which just, is silly. It shouldn't shouldn't be, but there's a, this deep divide of which this is emblematic of, and it's very, very sad. It's very sad. I guess the benefit is we're having the we're having conversations about it. I guess the downside is 
they're not real productive on a national level. I mean, it's just more it's 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 just people throwing out attacks. But there needs to be, it seems like, a conversation. We need to lead this a little bit more. Right. Well, in a lot of the quotes I saw from fans, it was mostly kind of sadness. Like, why why are we having this conversation? This is about football. But I have my own big, big, big reservations about the NFL. Nothing to do with politics. But uh, still, why are we why are we having this conversation? It just is very it's very sad. Like I said, it's emblematic of a deeper divide of which it's just. I don't want to be pessimistic, but it's hard to see how this kind of heals up here. Yeah. No, yeah. And again, not to be the cynic, but I wonder if um, it it had something to do with the health care bill struggling. (laughs) I mean, it did take everyone's eye off of the health care bill that was supposedly (laughs) had its last chance or so. I mean, it's still, I guess, viable, but uh, it had a chance this weekend to be passed. um, And yet, you know, it was struggling. Was it a, was it a little yeah, distraction? I'd, I'd be, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, one of the explanations for some of President Trump's tweets and actions is, it seems to me, to just poke a stick in the eyeball of his adversaries and have, make them go crazy. <laughs> and so what that does is divert uh, attention from lots of other things that are going on. But I don't see how he wins in diverting attention away from health care. That's what he... He wants that bill passed, and it seems to me that more attention on it is uh, would have been helpful for him in, in his quest. And I don't know. You're yeah. right. We're, we're not talking about a lot of things today. We're not talking about the U.N. Yeah. Speech. We're not talking about uh, uh, adding new countries to the travel ban. I mean, there are all kinds of things that we're not, we're not talking about tax relief. We're not talking about... Uh, um, Healthcare, like you say, I mean, all of that was just blowing off the front pages. Leadership I mean, by looking, distraction, some are calling it. Yeah, yeah no, I was just looking at the New York Times, the, the front page, the, you know, the front page today. Well, to be fair, there's there are some discussion of some of the stories, but the big stories are all one, two, three, at least three big front page stories about what hmm. the NFL. And Angela Merkel just won. Right. And 13% of the voters voted for, you know, really, really on the right edge of, of German politics. Extreme right, right? I mean, like that, I mean, yeah. that's kind of scary. Yeah. So to be fair, that did make the front page of the Times, but still. It's, yeah, but know, it's not. Yeah, it's uh, maybe not what's being talked uh, about. Joe, let's take a break, come back, and see if we can't talk about some of these other things. Uh, Trump versus Kim Jong-un, that seems to have escalated at a very rapid pace. Um, and and even now with nuclear threat, right, um, to the Pacific Ocean, um, we'll get to that. Plus also more on the health care bill. Ted Cruz apparently voting no on the Graham-Cassidy health care bill. Uh, what's going on there? Is there any way to herd all of these GOP cats that are head in so many different directions. We'll find out more with Joe in the know, Joe Cannon, our Washington insider after the break.
Welcome back, friends. Joe Cannon is on the phone with us. Joe is our Washington insider. Uh, he really is just very connected as a human being. He knows a lot of people that know a lot of things. Joe always argues with us that he may not know politics as much as we claim that he does. but And he may not even have insider track, but... Joe, you're as close to an insider in Washington as as there comes as far as my show is concerned. You I mean, that's that's well, you just got to take the title. Just own it, Joe. Joe, are you there? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm here. I'm oh, you're sorry. there. Yeah, no, I'm here. Yeah, you got to own the title, Joe. It's it's all you. You are yeah, uh, my Washington <laughs> insider. Okay, I, I will own that title as as it applies to you. Okay, just town. only me, not not global. Yeah, good. That's it. That's we're, it. We're, ta- right. we're not yeah, not, we're not talking global, just local. Okay. So, um, Joe, when you one of the things that is crazy, it seems like with like for example the health care bill is the Republicans can't get on the same page, and we've brought this up a million times, and you've educated us very well that there's not one party, there's three parties or more, and. Um, I mean, you can't, they can't they they just can't get Rand Paul on board. They've got McCain as kind of a loose cannon right now. He's he's pretty much voting against it. Murkowski, I think from um, Alaska, they're struggling to get in there now. I guess even Senator Ted Cruz announced that he's a no on Graham Cassidy. What's really going on with this idea? I mean, for years they were saying we would pat, we would repeal and replace, and they still can't get it together. Oh, no, right. One of Senator McCain's uh, biggest campaign uh, elements of his campaign was a, a repeal and replace Obamacare. I, I, again, uh, but by the way, I might be willing to accept your title with respect to you, but I'm not I'm not all in with the loose cannon talk. OK, yeah, yeah. Uh, Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Anyway. Yeah. You, <laughs> we can't use that phrase with you there. Right. Anyway, no. OK. Um, <laughs> The thing is, you've got you only have 52 Republican senators. You have no Democrat votes on this. Uh, you know, I, I find it silly that everyone's blaming Mitch McConnell, who has done a lot of really good and useful things for the fact that you've just got a bunch of uh, uh, you call it herding cats. You've got yeah. For for what it's worth, in my reading of all the different stories and listening to what's going on here, you only have two absolute certain no votes right now, and that's Collins and McCain. Rand Paul has said, you know, I don't see how I could vote for this bill. As he quote, it's very difficult for me to imagine a scenario that's like political talk for, well, maybe there's something, you know. but as it stands right now, you've got two no votes and then a whole bunch of likely no votes, including Rand Paul, including Ted Cruz, who even though Senator Lee, Mike Lee from Utah, has not come out against it, Cruz has said, I don't see how Mike Lee votes for this either. So, you know, you've got a bunch of people and then you've got other people who uh, the, the president has antagonized, like Senator Flake, uh, that, uh, you know, he's not really on anybody's list, but. You can imagine this scenario where quite a few senators vote against this. And if that's the case, the bill, I, I don't see the bill even coming up. Um, so, yeah, so, I, so I, I don't know. But there's a big push, right, because supposedly there's a deadline where if they want to pass it with 51 votes or whatever, they have to do it 
right. soon, right? You have to do it during the budget period that's in in the in consideration right now. So they have to do it by the end of the the, the fiscal year ends September 30, and so that this is all tied to budget and budget reconciliation and all the uh, budget type stuff and. That's how the Democrat Senate passed it, and that's the way the Republicans are trying to pass it. But they, I don't know. I don't think they have enough votes right now. Is there a point where, if the GOP just can't get it together, that they they're just going to lose all power altogether? Well, yeah. No, I think both the House and the Senate. I don't. I I, I guess I can't say that. The House is at risk. The House could easily be at risk. You know, I think it's 23, 25 seats need to uh, to switch, and several of those are in California, which mm. is going more and more blue. So you've got three or four very vulnerable seats right off the bat in California in the House. Uh, in the Senate, I, I don't see it flipping, but I do see, if you're a Republican, a very missed opportunity Instead of just going after the Republicans who are voting against the bill, which are a handful of people, why not go against the 48 Democrat senators, 100 percent of whom are voting against the bill? And I'm I'm not even taking a position. I'm just saying as a tactical matter, if you're a Republican, you have a very target-rich opportunity with eight or ten Democrats in very red states that uh, the the president took. Right. So anyway, I – so I don't know how it'll how it'll shape up. You know, once you know we get to the end of 2017, all of a sudden uh, a whole different political dynamic comes into play for 2018 for everybody, for Democrats, for the president, for the senators themselves, for the House members. All of a sudden, this uh, the whole this political calculus gets all changed because everybody. Every politician's number one goal is to get reelected. Okay, so that is going to come into into play very significantly, in, in really in weeks. Mm. Wow! Yeah. Oh man, we're speaking again with Joe Cannon, our Washington uh, insider. Joe in the nose, what we call again. What Joe is uh, the Matt Townsend shows Washington insider, not a global statement. Um, hey, Joe, talk about. President Trump at the U.N., um, again, he had been calling Kim Jong-un rocket man, uh, the North Korean leader, um, which then it seemed like had a, a big backlash from Kim Jong-un. Uh, Kim said Trump was unfit to hold the prerogative of supreme command of a country and described him as a rogue and a gangster fond of playing with fire. He also promised to tame the mentally deranged U.S. dotard with fire. Wow. Right. Uh, <laughs> Name calling uh, escalated. Yeah, yeah. Um, let me just say, except for some of the rhetorical flourishes, which I still cannot get my head around, like rock, Rocket Man. Rocket Man. Uh, if, you, if you strip those away, which is admittedly kind of hard, uh, <laughs> what he did was give basically a Ronald Reagan speech in terms of what um, generally what America's foreign policy would be. And so the speech itself had lots of, I think, high points, lots of admonishment for a United Nations that has plenty, plenty of defects in it when it comes to protection of human rights and protection of, of dictatorships, which have caused the misery of tens and tens and maybe hundreds of millions of people. So I think you got a lot of that right. I just still don't quite know 
what's accomplished by the rocket man kind of stuff. I mean, uh, you know, Ronald Reagan was a loved president who had very conservative views. Uh, but he able he was able to do it uh, to to make his points with a smile mm-hmm. and and not too much if any personal invective. I mean, you know, the meanest thing I can remember Ronald Reagan saying was uh, uh, talking about Jimmy Carter. He said uh, people who say they like to take cold showers will lie about other things. Oh wow, that was about the meanest thing I ever I can remember him saying. And, yeah. you know, I, I don't know, just. Uh, do you, By the way, uh, the spirit of Ronald Reagan is sorely lacking in the Senate today. I mean, people like Rand Paul, who uh, purport to worship uh, Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan is the guy who said, if your opponent offers you half a loaf, you take it. And oh, interesting. worry about the other half later. And is, wasn't there a – didn't Reagan have a, a, a rule of n- not speaking ill of your own party? Yeah, the famous 11th commandment, uh, thou shalt not speak ill of another Republican. And he was pretty – good at that, even though he had plenty of Republican opponents. Does – what was that? Was that was that Reagan just being a, a smart politician? Was that – was there a different – was that a different age? Um, because it seems like sorely lacking today. Well, it's a different age, a, a different person. Uh, maybe, maybe we should talk about Ronald Reagan someday, but I've read thousands of pages, including his own writings. I think he was genuinely, in the bones, a decent person hmm. who really didn't have enemies, didn't didn't think about, you know, contrast, forget about today and then, but about Reagan versus Nixon. Nixon kept a list of enemies. I, I just don't think that Ronald Reagan kept a mental or otherwise list of enemies. You know, he was all about as you say, looking for the good, looking for things that would lift uh, everybody, lift, lift lift all people, even people who didn't agree with him. He also had a great group of people around him, right? I mean, Baker and some of those others, you know, he had a great no, team, President, it seemed like. President Reagan was, was generally, generally speaking, very gifted at uh, choosing the right staff. So, yeah, uh, I, yeah, he's, uh, we all have a lot – well, not all, many people – and I will say I am one. I have a, a lot of nostalgia for Ronald Reagan, but we're in a different day, a different age, and yeah. and and the country seems to me even now a lot more divided. Though, go Google Reagan and the press, you'll find all kinds of hysterical things about him uh, uh, being a racist and uh, a divider and all that too. So uh. some things don't change very much. Yeah. Uh, Joe, we got about 30 seconds. What would you say, what are we missing? What should we be paying more attention to this week? Two things. One is that in 1789, Congress adopted what became the Bill of Rights, including the First Amendment. So on this day, the other thing, you know, one of your, on one of the uh, the break, you had a story about dogs. And I, I can't resist saying that, look, there's a very important study by Dr. Gregory Burns, a neuroscientist at Emory University, who wrote a book called What It's Like to Be a Dog. Well, he spent uh, did a big study studying dogs' brains, and here's the bottom line. <laughs> dogs do love people. Yeah, It's not fake. It's not predatory. It's not uh, parasitical. They actually, the quote is, dogs aren't faking it when they act like they love you because it's not an act. 
And anyone else, a dog knows that. Yeah. In fact, we, we've talked about, we got to get him, we got to do that, get that study on the show, Joe, because that, uh, that is pretty neat. Dogs do love their masters, which why they're man's best friend, for heaven's sake. Well, Joe, we appreciate you. Keep up your great work. Uh, thank you for being on the show with us. Again, Joe is the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. Go check out his website, fuelfreedom.org, to find out what he's doing uh, in the United States for fuel costs. Fun stuff. Uh, just trying to stay, stay in the know with Joe Cannon. We'll continue the journey. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. coach would have put me in fourth quarter we'd have been state champions because life doesn't come with a handbook you need a coach here's dr matt and his coaching corner Play ball. welcome back friends to the matt townsend show you know as we saw with the nfl as we see whether whatever you feel for the president of the united states uh boy words hurt and words can be very divisive um, a couple of quotes just, I think, that might guide all of us through it. Uh, Mark Twain once said, patriotism is supporting your country all of the time and your government when it deserves it. <laughs> Interesting uh, little take there. What do you think when when and, and really what do you sense the issue is with people taking a knee? There are populations in this country that feel like they're not being treated fairly. They're not being treated um, respectfully, they're not having their rights protected. And so and remember, we when we see a, a player um, like Villanueva from um, the, the Steelers who served three tur- t- tours in Afghanistan stand while his entire team is still in the, uh, the locker room, that is the freedom of speech right there, and as is taking a knee. You may not like it. You may not care for it. There may be better ways to do it. But in the end, uh, we fought, and these people have fought for us so that we can have the freedom to do that. We could still always respect one another, and uh, let's, let's lose the name-calling. It's the last thing we need. Instead, instead, why don't we try to understand better what's really happening with uh, the people of this country and, and try to try to break through some of the— the, just the, the typical name-calling. Anyway, hope that's that's all we can really do, right? But we are still one country, uh, and you saw it in Houston. The spirit of one is still there. We just have to also look out for the other 99, right? We'll continue the journey, folks, helping you be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Crazy times uh, going on. You see it with the NFL, with President Trump. A lot of tension there. Also, uh, now the NBA has gotten involved with President Trump. You wonder when MLB is going to get involved. Do uh, I hope they don't? Let's not get ruin. Let's just get through the World Series. This is the greatest time. You got the chill in the air. Let's just get. Let's just get to the World Series. You got your nachos in your lap. <sighs> this is good living. Well, welcome to the program, Jeff Simpson's uh, here with us today, as well as Terry South. The gang is here, and today we're going to be talking about parents, whether you need to be tougher, you know, laying down more rules or harsher punishments. 
We'll be talking Parenting 101. We'll revisit an interview we did with uh, Canada's uh, one of Canada's leading uh, parenting experts, Allison Schaefer, will be joining us for a wonderful interview. Um, I am I need it because last night my wife went uh, to have a sleepover with a bunch of her friends up at a cabin and left me with the kids and. I- it was. It's hard. I woke up and had to be Mr. Mom, had to get everybody up. I thought once you were 12, the sleepovers no, no, no. were done. No, they're still called sleepovers. I think we even called it a slumber party with her book group. I guess then that means I'm having one next month too. With uh, your book group? With my brothers. Ah, yes. And hopefully going to see a Dodger game. It could happen. Well... It... <laughs> Very slight chance. I, I kind of feel the same way as you. <laughs> but let's, we'll just hope for you. Um, anyway, wish my wife's book club the very best. Uh, by the way, not to brag, but I named their book club. I named – how many times do you get to name a book club? And I named my wife's book club. Is it the Joy Luck Club? Nope. I – nope. The Buena I, Vista Social Club? Nope. Uh-uh. I, was doing, I was doing an interview on television – Talking about my wife's book club, and the woman interviewing me asked me, "What's the name of the club?" And I didn't know they had a name. I didn't know their name, so I said, "They're the Dragons." The Dragons. Yeah, the Dragons mm. book club, and it stuck. So now they're called the Dragons. I was. My next guess was going to be the Pink Ladies. Nope. Hmm. I just thought because you know it's fun to name a team. I think my, one of my kids had just had their team named the Dragons. So I thought, let's go with the Dragons. Sounds like maybe as a kid you weren't chosen a lot to pick the names of teams. And yeah. so this no. is – Nope. Never a captain. Kind of a big win for you. Yeah. It's really actually <laughs> quite a, a very big win for me. And uh, by the way, to have a book club though that's like 20 years old I think and you got to name it. Oh, yeah. And the name stuck. So now the Dragons are all up having a slumber party. So they only read books about dragons. No, they read a lot of books. Interestingly, they've never read my book. Really? Make a suggestion. And you named the group. I know. Kind of rude. You should have influence. Actually, maybe they didn't read my book. No, I don't think they did. I'm just throwing it out there. I mean, it's there. We and to add insult to injury, more copies. I think they were going to have a, a book burning session <laughs> and start with that one. Yeah. Start, start with my <laughs> book. Don't do that. Uh, we'll be covering, um, of course, parenting, uh, sleepovers for moms. Give you a little advice there, how to name your team, name your name your organization, plus a mysterious powdery purple substance discovered on Nashville Elementary School property. Once, you, by the way, it's just bubble gum. Is that what it is? Maybe grape Kool Aid. Yeah. No. You, well, if it was grape Kool Aid, they could have just washed it off with a hose, and it didn't wash away. A large blackish purple substance in a circle about ten to fifteen feet wide. Hmm. Wow. Starts to appear on a. You know what do you do? Kids, no, 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 stay away from the black substance. That's just gross. Yeah. That's where you put cones around it. Mm. Hasn't anybody seen the blob? Oh, yeah. You ever see the version where it's not gelatinous, it's just a powder? Never. Oh. That's scary, though. Might be in the making right now. I'll bet now. there's an answer. And I bet it's not as crazy of an answer as people think. And I bet it involves the janitor. Is it like dish soap? I bet he's out cleaning something out there and he mm. forgot to tell anybody. So he's just hosing out the garbage cans in the front lawn again? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I'll That's always it. remember our janitor wearing the red ribbon during uh, 
the no smoking week or whatever. Yeah. And while he was out smoking a cigarette. Really? So, I uh-huh. remember a, a lung expert, a pulmonologist at a hospital – and uh, I'm walking in with a patient with asthma, and the pulmonologist is smoking a cigarette out on the out on the door, out by the door. <laughs> he looks over. Stuff's horrible. And for on the you. way in, yeah. I'm like, "Yeah, that's the pulmonologist you'll be seeing in a minute." And she's like, <laughs> "Can't breathe." That's great. Horrible. Horrible. Anyway, that's life, my friends. We will uh, we'll be talking about all of it. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the country we should be paying attention to? So as we've been talking about, President Donald Trump's criticism of players who kneel during the national anthem sparked angry protests around the, the NFL on Sunday as about 200 players sat, knelt, raised fists in defiance, all the above. Uh, a week ago, just six players protested. Most NFL players on Sunday locked arms with their teammates, some standing, Others kneeling in a show of solidarity, a handful of teams stayed off the field after the Star-Spangled Banner to avoid the issue altogether. As he prepared to board Air Force One to return to Washington from New Jersey, Trump said the players protesting the anthem were very disrespectful to our country and called again on owners uh, to stop what he considered unpatriotic display in America's most popular sport. He goes, this has nothing to do with race. This has to do with respect for our country. Yeah. Some people I've read pointed out it's it's always a bad sign when you're making an argument but you have to start with this has nothing to yeah. do with race. Well, or like and I'm I'm not, you know, we're not Nazis. The minute those lines come up, yeah. then you've got a it problem. It seems like maybe you've you've lost some messaging about yeah. your message. It's being interpreted the wrong way and by saying that I don't know if that helps. Um, Trump said this, uh, he goes, NFL has its players often, are, the NFL and owners and the league and everything often at odds, but now they're all unified together. You know, that's the, that's probably the bright side is yeah. now they all have a thing to be unified against, I guess. Well, that, I guess that's it because only 200 pay, only 200 players like knelt. Yeah. But I didn't realize, I didn't think of it this way, but a lot of the other teams linked up and showed unity even while their players were kneeling, right. they were still linked together. That see that's pretty that's powerful symbolism and maybe the NFL has a really important role to play here because they have enough money mm-hmm. and they have they have a lot of connection to the inner cities and the problems that we have in this country maybe they could help us find answers and help lead this into a healthier discussion great possibility there I hope says one of Trump's biggest supporters in the NFL is Patriots owner Robert Kraft. He donated a million dollars to his campaign. Yeah, and, and he gave him the he gave him he a gave ring. him a Super Bowl ring. He joined the chorus when he expressed deep disappointment with President Donald Trump's yeah uh, comments. Uh, five uh, on with Kraft. Five it was there were six owners in total who all donated to Trump's campaign. You can, you can't suggest boycotting things. No, which is what he was suggesting. Walk not, out. Not when you're pro business, right? Republican opposition to the GOP health care bill swelled to near fatal numbers Sunday as Senator Susan Collins all but closed the door on supporting the last ditch effort to scrap the Obama health care law. And uh, let's see, Senator Ted Cruz said right now he doesn't back it. He also said that Senator Mike Lee is most likely a no. Mike Lee went, whoa. Oh, don't Hold speak on. for me. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> White House legislative liaison Mark Short and Senator Lindsey Graham, one of the major sponsors, said Republicans would press ahead with a vote this week. They're thinking maybe Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday, really, possibly. Uh, the comments by Collins and Cruz left Republican drive to uh, uproot President Barack Obama's uh, Affordable Care, uh, Affordable Health Care Act, dangling by an increasing fraying threat. Wow, that's very Ooh, dangling by an increasingly mm, uh, thread fraying, fraying thread. thread. Very artistic mm. sentence there. The vote must occur this week. 
uh, because the uh, they they have the rules that have them. You know, so they they can pass it this week by fifty votes yeah. plus Mike Pence. Yeah, fifty one. There if you go. If it's after this week, then they need Democrats, and it's like it's oh. gonna be like sixty plus votes. And President, you know how the Democrats are. So President, <laughs> and the, well, then the Democratic filibuster kicks in, oh, and then, so they can slow yeah. the thing down. President Donald Trump seemed to distance himself from the showdown, saying his primary focus is on taxes. He'll have a speech on Wednesday, I believe, about his tax plans. Well, I thought his primary focus was repeal and replace. Well, that was before. And then he moved on to taxes. Well, that isn't possibly going to work out well. Okay. Uh, Because now you're probably going to have to shore up Obamacare because that's what we have left, right? Right. Which has been the refrain from Democrats. Let's just fix what we have. Yeah, let's just make Obamacare better. You guys keep trying to build something that kind of looks like Obamacare. Yeah, we must repeal and replace even though we can't get together on it. So they'll try to figure out how to fix it. President Trump again referred to Kim Jong-un as little rocket man in a tweet Saturday night. The third iteration of the president's favorite new insult. Little. It's like little Marco Rubio, right? Uh, the Saturday oh. tweet came several after uh, hours after a group of U.S. bombers and fighter escorts flew well north of the of the demilitarized zone between really? North and South Korea. They're staying over international waters, but they're right there. But they're right there, so they're like neener neener neener. The Pentagon characterized the flight as a demonstration that the president has many military options to defeat any threat. Yeah. North Korea, uh, their uh, foreign minister said Trump's insults make a North Korean strike on the U.S. mainland more inevitable, calling Trump President Evil. Okay. That's Dr. Evil. (laughs) Wow, escalation. Yeah, it's good. I think this is healthy. What do you mean, healthy? Oh, no, I'm sorry. That that would be different. It seems like China, you know, you get China involved, and then on the backside, they're like, look, Kim. Yeah. China's getting very annoyed. You got to stop this because you are seriously messing up our game. They're reducing greatly the oil imports from China to North Korea. I mean, give finally. that three months and it's going to, and by the way, colder temperatures. Yes. Hmm. So, okay. now, completely different, lighter note. Okay. Generation Ooh. Z. Oh, yeah. Right? These are people that are now just around 22, so 22 and younger. Okay. So that, that's sort these of- are, These are after millennials. After millennials, kind of this mysterious group. You may have a couple in your yeah, house. Yeah, I got a lot of them. Yeah. So the 75% say they spend their spare time online with much of that spent on mobile devices. Right. So that's a key finding. Yes. Now, this is how they, this is their shopping habits. Uh-oh. This is what they expect of a brick and mortar store. Okay. And online shopping. So there's only 7% of Gen Zers want sales associates to help them in the store. Don't talk to me. Yeah. 7%. That makes sense. That's kind of so, like yeah. so. If you run a store, ignore anyone under twenty-two. Wow. Because I mean, percentage-wise, yeah, just leave me alone. Just ignore them completely. Fifty-four percent of ordered items online, and then pick them up in a store. Thirty-three percent expect stores to have uh, that option, where you yeah. can have in-store pickup. Hmm. Which why to not? me, I don't know why would why would you just ship it to the house? Why would I need to go through another step? Well, of they don't want well, parents to know. Well, or in case there's not free shipping. Involved. Well, there's okay. There's that. Thirty nine percent want to pick up items in the store, but have the store automatically charge their account and walk out. Wow. They don't want to have to deal with the register. They don't want to <laughs> deal with anything. <laughs> Says, however, Gen Zers still rank paying at the register with an associate as the number one preferred checkout method. Really? Yeah. Even they don't like the little kiosk where you check it out yourself. No. You'd think they'd love that. I don't know. I I enjoy it thoroughly. I've got fertilizer at the hardware store. I always go and pretend like I work for the the 
food chain. You just like using that scanner, uh-huh. though. You know Beep. the you know the big Beep. fifty pound bag of fertilizer. Yeah, I pick that up out of my cart, <laughs> maneuver it into can't, the, the can't little the barcode, uh, <laughs> and then toss it back in the. And that they're all staring at me, and I go, "This is much better than talking to somebody." Sixty six percent would visit a store more often if they could check item availability beforehand. Really? Mm-hmm. Do you have it before I walk in the store? Wow. Well, can't you do that? Some stores yeah, you can. Like it's not Walmart. really accurate because yeah. you have to deal with inventory. and Then you got to go find it and mm-hmm. it's in the wrong But when department. you've got kids that have been cooped up at home all day, you'll do anything to just have an outing. Right. So just right. go to the store. Ugh. 44% want virtual reality or augmented reality to see how a dress fits, for example, to be incorporated into their retail shopping experience in the next 12 months. Really? So you would stand, you'd have a picture of yourself like looking in your mirror through your camera and you'd be able to try on clothes. Yeah, before you go to the store. Well, how that doesn't even make sense. Like, <laughs> it's not your real body. I know, but you know, that's what they want. This is exactly how it will fit. Wow. Okay. So about half of Gen Zers expect products to be eco-friendly and socially responsible as well as high quality. So they want the perfect product. Yeah. I'm sure at the lowest price. Uh-huh, absolutely. They want virtual AR and, uh, and VR. VR. Yep. Wow. And then they want it eco-friendly and socially responsible, but high quality. And nobody talk to me. Don't anybody talk to me in the store until I'm checking out. And if they could figure out a way to do it while their faces are planted into their phones, that's wow. even better. Sounds like a really messed up generation. It's crazy. It sounds like they want everything. And then this, this uh, they, they spoke to a woman as part of this. Her name is... But they go by the name Carrie. It's probably an anonymous yeah. name, but Carrie. She says she likes seeing a cashier because it makes the experience more personal. But a 15-year-old named uh, Mia says that she'd prefer just to walk out of the store having the cashier makes the whole affair clunky. So she's more like a, like a kleptomaniac. She just wants to walk out. I would just prefer not pay for this. That's why Amazon has their stores where you go in. That they're testing. You yeah. go in and get your, your products, whatever you want, and you, you have them in bags, and you just walk out the door. But because there's oh, barcodes everywhere. It knows who you are, and it knows. And knows your Amazon you t- account, so it just credits your account as you walk out the door. You don't have to That's go through a cashier. That's got problems right yeah, now. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, because they've, they've cornered every other segment of the market except yeah. the klepto segment. Well, <laughs> what happens when they walk out with a mannequin? I, Maybe they that. charge you for the mannequin. Maybe. You took two mannequins and four hangers. So do you think that uh, uh, that's sustainable, those preferences for shopping? Well, yeah. I do, it has actually. to be, I guess. I think, and I think it is the future, right? And if that's what they want, that's what they're going to get. Now, what about the other generations? So now you're going to go into a store and you really are going to be um, profiled. Oh, yeah. Because if you're old, you're going to be like, hey, we'll talk to you. Hey, do you guys need some help? But the younger generation, you're just going to be shunned. The other right. side of it is you walk into a store and it goes, hey, free Wi-Fi, right? Yeah. So you go ahead and log in. There's When something's free, they're getting something from you. Yeah. They're tracking what you do in the store. We know who you are. Right? So I, I don't know how that would incorporate into this sort of, of preference for a shopping experience, yeah. but it could become to the point where they're just tracking you. They know where you're at. They well, know, well, you know. What happens when they walk up and they're like, hello, Mr. Townsend? Yeah, they know your name walking in the door. How do you know my name? It's a little strange. Nice mannequin. This is weird. It's crazy what's happening to us. I don't know if I like it. And poor cashiers. Nobody wants to talk to them. Well, maybe there's a day you just won't have any. You'll just have security guards at the door. Hmm. Go pick up what you want and walk by these scanners. 
Boop, 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 boop. Done. All done. It does make it easy. I like that. I mean, I'd, I'd prefer to not have to talk to anybody. When I want that, I just put my headphones in. Mainly because hmm. the conversation is just happy talk. It's just like, yeah. hi, how are you? Are you having good. a good day? Blah, 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 yeah. blah. Just, can you just run the car? I don't want to Don't go. you love the peeps? I love peeps. Here's peeps. Did yeah. you, have you tried the pink peeps? They want That's yeah. why it's good having a, a child with you because then they just sort of play with the child. Yeah. They leave always, you alone. Put, always lead with the child. All they look at you and they go, Icer stamps? Nope. Mm-mm. Thank Did you. Did they say that? Yeah. They still say that. <laughs> One of the places I go to, yeah. Ice or stamps? Ice or stamps? No, nope, like, not partying this weekend. Like, what are these stamps you're talking about? Oh, okay. I just yeah. want to go to Costco, be able to get a box with all of my things, and not get this look of resentment on the employees' faces. Like, oh. <sighs> you want a gonna... box? What do you think I am? Let me go get it. <laughs> this is a box store, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yes. I love Costco, though. Not to name any names. Blasco. I love Blasco. And they're blokes blocking. It kind of sounds like the chocolate drink as well. Mm. You ever had some Blasco? No. Blasco. No. Okay. Don't drink chocolate drinks. Put pounds on. You don't get this body drinking chocolate drinks. I see you made no comment. Okay, we'll uh, continue the journey, folks. Straight ahead, we're going to be talking about parenting mistakes, what today's parents need to stop doing if uh, we want to raise our children in a healthier way. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Ask any parent and they'll tell you everyone has their opinion on how you should raise your kids. Some people think parents should be friendlier, putting their child's needs first. Uh, Others think parents need to be tougher, laying down more rules and harsher punishments. Maybe the answer is a perfect mix of both. Allison Schaefer is one of Canada's leading experts on parenting, and she joined me a few months ago to give us some insights on parenting. I began the interview by pointing out the conflict between the idea of being a disciplinarian parent, parent versus being, you know, your kid's best friend. We have to understand that, historically speaking, um, in European-based countries, that kind of colonial thinking of uh, hierarchical power structures where, you know, the home is considered the little small social unit, and so dad is, at the, is kind of king of the castle. Right. I'm supposed to fetch his slippers and pipes when he comes <laughs> home, and the kids are the bottom of the pyramid. And in that um, style of homes in the old day, which went on for centuries, you know, Roles were really to to be our indentured servants, to mind our will, and the goal for keeping social order was obedience. And that has been our cultural history. Right. So the problem is we are in flux. We, We are now at a time where in the last 100 years we have seen an incredible surge in our understandings for the need for human rights and equality uh even in the workplace we're seeing flatter um power structures so this is something that's happening across all social institutions it's just that what's happened with parents is now we've thrown out this old tradition that everybody understood, you know, you spanked the kids, right. or, you know, you put soap in their mouth if they were rude. <laughs> it, you know, it worked for generations. 
Uh, and now we're saying you can't do that anymore because we understand that it hurts children's self-esteem, um, that it leads to anxiety, that they don't reach their full potential when we injure them this, this way psychically. So we threw out we threw out all the old traditions, and we never gave parents a good replacement for what's supposed to come after that. Mm. And it left parents in a complete loss saying, so you're telling us that parenting is important and that environment matters, but you aren't telling us how to do it. And what we saw is the pendulum swing way, way too far the other direction where suddenly we became super huggy, friendly. Don't cry. Oh, my gosh, you're crying. <laughs> Your little emotions are, are going to get crushed. I don't want you to end up in therapy. Okay, okay, you can stay up later. You know, we stay Yeah, oh, totally. We, we completely became doormats to, to our, to our uh, kids. And so I think we're starting now that we've seen enough of these kids that have been raised um, with parents who did not know how to find that middle ground, you know, they're very indulgent, they're very egocentric, and they're not functioning very well. So now we're seeing sort of the end result of that, and we're saying, you know what, we got to find a better way. Yeah. This, this is not good. We can see that it's um, not serving kids well, it's not serving parents well, but, but look what they're saying, Matt. What people are saying is, Take back the reins, parents. They, they want to go back to, to ruling with an iron right. fist, and this really concerns me because that's, that's not the answer. We, we, and that's, that's been disproved, kind of the oppressive, dominant parent, but then so too has the weak parent because kids need – kids don't need a best friend. They, they still need boundaries. They still need uh, structure and, and discipline. Um, it's just how do, we, how do we play in the middle? Yeah, so that – and we think about that word discipline. You cannot raise a child without discipline. It is a requirement. It is in your job description as a parent that you need to discipline your kids. But discipline, if the, the word discipline comes from disciple. Right. It's about to, how to educate your child on how to function in society. That when we are at a restaurant, we don't run around so that the waitress is going to get tripped over and spill her tray of drinks. We need to sit in our seat and we need to use our inside voice so that we don't disturb others that are dining around us. That's to educate. That's discipline. Um, you know, and that's why you know, we heard the whole spare the rod, spoil the child. Mm-hmm. Which has been widely argued about the interpretation of that. You know, the the um, classic biblical was that the shepherd had a rod, and if you were a shepherd and you needed to take your sheep up the hill to eat, you tapped, you guided them with ta- a tapping motion. You didn't whack your sheep. Just the same way that if you're working with dogs, you don't roll up a newspaper and smack a dog. You're going to create a dog who's angry or or, or scared. You don't traumatize right. the animal. So guidance is, is child guidance discipline does not mean punishment. It does not mean pain. Um, and, and we're so wired to believe that a kid won't learn unless they suffer, because <laughs> it's how we've done it for so long. But, but truthfully, a child in fear, a child who is scared is less able to learn. Um, and so how to do discipline, child guidance, without using punishment rewards, because well, this is the other change that's happened, Matt. We kind of got a lot of parents realizing, okay, I don't, I don't want to spank. I, I, I don't want to do the, the punishment thing. And then there was a proliferation of rewards. Now everybody is manipulating their child to obey 
by giving them sticker charts or mm-hmm. if you, oh if, if you do your um if you do your chores around the house then you can get the iPad time on the iPad that's like the biggest we we use technology as our ultimate lure you know if you do anything wrong i'm taking away your cell phone um but well, the, what does that do reward. though cuz that that Allison life's not always about rewards either right i mean sometimes you just got a shower right it, and you don't get a sticker and a iPad time to just bathe like i bathe every day Another way to make a person feel more humiliated and manipulated and like they're living life on the end of puppet strings than to manipulate them with rewards. It, it, it doesn't work in any fashion. All, we've done so much work now on rewards, and we realize that it actually kills intrinsic motivation. So, if, you know, that getting the notion across that we shower because we need to be clean and people don't want to smell your armpits after hockey right. practice, <laughs> right. you know, that you have to help out around the house because we're a group and we shouldn't unfairly burden, you know, mom and dad who already worked all day. Those things are, are um, natural to a child to understand, and you can't, there's other ways to get them to be accountable for their responsibility without. But again, not unless you took a class or you learned because we don't have a cultural history of seeing this anymore. So, so of course, when our back's up against the wall and we ask our kids very nicely to do their responsibility and they say no, a frustrated parent will say, well, I tried being polite, I tried that new method, but they didn't do anything, so I ended up yelling, I ended up punishing them. So it's really about educating parents at this point, about new methods of how to be a disciplinarian without those old punishment rewards tools, which is pretty much all most parents know now. That's it, we dichotomize it, it seems like. So either I've got to spank the child or I've got to motivate them with positive rewards the entire time. But again, it's, that's just the same extremes as old school, new school. It is. It still goes back to the idea of I have no faith in my child. I must make them mind my will. They must be obedient. Um, and the only way to get them to be obedient is to manipulate them in some way. And what I'm suggesting is when we really look at the way human beings interact, we are wired to be social, relational um, human beings. We love being together. We actually like doing work and cooperating. And so we need to create environments in our home where we stimulate our child to want to cooperate with us. And early indications of this is, for example, why do children walk? Why do children learn their mother tongue? Because they want to fit in, because they want to be part of the group, because they want to do what everybody else is doing. It's our natural inclination. Um, And so we just need to continue doing this. And we see this in much more collective cultures and First Nation cultures and cultures around the world that are less hierarchical, where we raise kids to be collaborators, to, to, to win their cooperation rather than force their compliance. Hmm. Um, and we just have to create those conditions in our homes, which is respectful relationships and a feeling of belonging. Those are the two kind of ingredients. Like if you had a Petri dish and you wanted to grow a cooperative child, you'd need to make sure that you had those two elements happening in your home. Um, But we come from a history where parent and child are in a slave-tyrant relationship, which is inherently disrespectful. Um, And so in the old days, the parent was the tyrant and the child was the slave. And all (laughs) we've done now is reverse roles. We now have tyranny of the child who is saying... I'm not. I'm not eating salmon. Go make me chicken fingers. Yeah. You know, and and the parent scampers off and becomes a short order cook. <laughs> we, 
which is equally disrespectful. Totally. No, right? totally. So, it's yeah. It's ever- not about, it's not mutually respectful. So I think you're asking, Matt, about where is that sweet spot, which is how do we have respect but understand that you can be the leader in the family, have a different role and different responsibilities, but do it in a respectful way. So being a boss without being bossy, basically. Yeah, right. Okay, let's do this, Allison. Let's take a break, come back. I want you to, to kind of give us some keys, some insights as to how we do that. How do we be the respectful uh, leader, still get things done, move, but and also how do we get to the intrinsic motivators with our children? Yeah. Powerful stuff from our uh our wonderful parenting expert, Allison, Allison Schaefer. If you go to her website, allisonschaefer.com, um, you'll, you'll be able to get access to all of her videos, her, her blogs, videos, podcasts, you name it. It's all there, folks, as, lo- as well as workshops. Um, we're learning. That's the key. you got to learn. You can't just stick to one old method or one new method. If it's not working, let's learn. We're doing it right here on The Matt Townsend Show, helping you have healthier families, healthier lives. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends. Parenting Mistakes, that is the name of the uh, article uh, written by our guest, Allison Schaefer. Allison is a uh, one of Canada's leading experts on parenting, and um, she's written many a book, uh, is also a counselor, a therapist, um, and has been, she, she's basically everywhere. She is the parenting renaissance person. Allison Schaefer, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. You really, you've, you've done it all. Touch them all. You know, I have to say, um, I have a bit of a unique background in that I'm the third generation in my family to teach parent education. And my grandmother was very good friends with Rudolf Dreikers, who wrote a book called Children the Challenge, which is still, it was written in 1963. It was the book I was raised on. Wow. And um, and he actually counseled my family as a, a demonstration family to help therapists and social workers learn how to work with families. Um, and so I really got early exposure to a lot of the greats. And, um, you know, his book, that, that first book, Children the Challenge, is actually still considered by the Library of Congress to be one of the most uh, seminal works in child guidance of the century. Hmm. It's been translated into a lot of different languages. And when I was first approached to write a parenting book, I said, why? Why doesn't everyone just read Children the Challenge? And they said, because it's old. It's so old. So I wrote Honey, I Wrecked the Kids is sort of my, like, tip of the hat modern um, version of some of the great uh, writing and thinking of Dreikers. And he was a colleague and student of, of uh, Alfred Adler. And yeah. Adler, Sigmund Freud, and Carl Jung were the three great minds that, that really brought modern psychology to the fore. So in a sense, I'm, I'm, I kind of have direct lineage to some of this yeah. thinking. I, I don't claim any of this to be my own thoughts the way I present it is modern and unique. I mean, there was no iPads back in you know, the right. 60s. It's new, it's new applications to old theories, but these are well-thought-out, well-researched ideas. It's really not a modern thing. It's just finally society is ready to accept some of these concepts that would have been very hard to, to, to sell to the larger masses back when women didn't even have the right to vote. Now we're you know, saying that kids should have rights. That's, that would have, you know, it was mind-boggling back then, but we're ripe and ready for this message now. Well, we totally are. In fact, um, the idea is just basically you're going to be a respectful 
leader. You're still going to be in charge as the parent, yeah. but you're going to do so with honor and respect. You're going to model respect um, and teach us how to do that. Our job is to socialize our children so that they can function in the world. That's really what parenting is about, preparing them so that they can enter the, the, and meet the demands of adult life, which is those demands are social demands. You are not doing a child any favor if you can't teach them how to work in a group. So the child who goes to a kindergarten class and who can't line up and wait his turn because at home he's always the center of the universe and the world revolves around him, is going to have a terrible time in a kindergarten class. Then he's going to start getting in trouble with the teacher and then the friends aren't going to like him because he's acting out. We're not doing kids any favors by making them special. So instead, we need to teach them what social living is all about. And small things, small things, Matt, like teaching a child not to interrupt it's amazing how many parents, as soon as their child comes into the room and demands their attention, they stop talking to their partner or their friends, and they'll say, yes, honey, what? What can I do for you? As opposed to saying, pardon me, I'm in the middle of a conversation. I'll get to you in a second. <laughs> Teach yeah. them to be patient and to wait their turn. You're one of many. You are not the center of the universe. And yet this is simple training that parents just don't do anymore. Uh, you see it all the time. And, and yet I, I guess that's it because parents don't necessarily frame this that – I'm trying to teach my child to, to, to negotiate the social networks of life. That's not what we see our role is necessarily. Right. And, we, and, we, and we, need, we need to. And you will see that the happiest kids who have the highest functioning are the ones that have had that training. Yeah. So you know, a small example, too, just you know, eating at the table and understanding that it's fine to have preferences – we all do. I know all kinds of adults that, you know, do or don't like tomatoes or do or don't like avocados. Like, we're all unique individuals, but we come together at the family table, and we have to understand that we don't always get our way. You know, we, you don't always get the meal that you want. Um, so we say in a, in a democracy, a, a social democracy, you don't always get your way, but you always have a say. And what that means is it's fine at the beginning of the week to say, I'm making up the grocery list. Does anyone have any requests? Or how can we make sure that some of your favorite foods show up at different meals so that we don't completely exclude people? Um, you know, but tonight, if tonight is, is pork chops and green beans, you have a choice. You can enjoy those with us or you can pass. But I'm not going to get up and go make you a grilled cheese sandwich and be a short order cook. Right. That's disrespectful to my time. Um, and yet we have all kinds of families who will cater to their individual children and make three and four meals. Um, and, and they come to expect this. They come to expect that this is their right as opposed to um, th- that their parent is just being you know, weak-spined. Well, what a disability. So then they go to college and they don't like what's on the menu. Right. And they're like, What? Listen, I can give you so many extreme examples. I actually just heard of a woman who is, they've had a nanny the whole time this child was growing up, nanny housekeeper, and the child is going off to their first year of college, and the parents are actually sending the nanny. Now, if you need a nanny in college, you have failed in parenting, in my opinion. <laughs> that is, but, but, they, but in a sense, they kind of have to because they haven't developed him in a way. He can't cook for himself. He doesn't know how to do laundry. He's never been taught. And so th- that's part of what we need to do is to give our, ki- our kids skills and autonomy so that they can function without us as they grow and they mature. Mm. So um, as you were saying, some of those... You know, what does it look like in terms of some of those tools? I mean, one of the first tools that I teach parents in in a democratic parenting workshop is the concept of natural consequences. And natural consequences is really about stepping back and letting life 
do the teaching. Um, so, for example, just how many people will fight with their kids over putting their coat on in the cold? Right. Right. I mean, it's a, if we got a Canadian winter, you, and while I for sure believe that you can't let your child die of exposure <laughs> uh, or frostbite, that that would be a role of a parent to step in if there was a health concern. But a lot of it is really just putting a jacket on because we'd like them to be warm. And if they actually stepped outside for a moment in, into the backyard on a Saturday to make a snowman and they didn't have their coat on, within two or three minutes they're going to say they're cold and say, I, I know why you wear coats now, because it's uncomfortable right. and your playtime is shorter if you're not bundled up properly. So a lot of those things, if we just let the child learn experientially, they will learn for themselves. They'll learn that when you slip on the monkey bars, you know, you fall and you get a little um, bump on your knee. And it's okay to have a bump. It's, it's, it's um, repairable. But now they have a, a way of learning about safety, of assessing risk. And um, parents, are they bubble wrap their kids, and they don't want them to experience these early mistakes. But it's a very important part of learning for kids to know. You know, jumping in mud puddles makes for wet socks. Well, and we, we almost um, – we worry for the child as a 35-year-old, um, not as an 8-year-old. I mean, an 8-year-old on monkey bars isn't going to have this catastrophic, major, debilitating problem. But right. yet we think as a 35-year-old that have heard every horrendous story um, from our lives and we worry – It almost, yeah, we do. We incubate them so much that they really have no shot at life. No, they're, they're, we have to think of it – and this is where I'm kind of like spitting in, in, in parent soup so that it becomes a distasteful thing to do. We're actually interfering with their learning. We're yeah. interfering with them connecting the dots between cause and effect. And so if, if we're, you're right, obviously we don't use a natural consequence if it's too severe or if the outcome is too far in the future. Like, for example, if you don't brush your teeth, you're going to get cavities. Well, of course, but you're not going to get cavities for a long right. time. A child isn't going to put that together. But they're certainly going to understand if you drop your pee off the side of the high chair, the dog's going to come over and eat it, and now it's gone. Mm-hmm. You know? Like they will put together things that happen in close proximity, um, you know, if you touch the stove, you're going to get a burn. And so they learn very quickly to hold their hand away from, from the, the stove. They, kids don't repeatedly pinch their fingers in the cupboards. They do it once or twice, and they learn they've got to keep their fingers out of the way or the spring's going to snap on them. So I think sometimes we just jump in too quickly, and we need to let them have some more natural experiences. Yeah. I mean, so nature will teach. That's Nature will. And we know that kids learn the fastest. You know, we think we're doing so great with all our lecturing, and but but honestly, saying nothing and just being empathic and saying, oh, it looks like you got a boo-boo, let me kiss your knee. You're figuring it out. You're growing. You'll get it. Just having their back and being supportive is the best way to go. Hmm. And so, as I mentioned, Dreikers and his great contribution, Dreikers and Adlers just said, if we know that kids learn so well from natural consequences and how the world works, about gravity and friction and heat and thermodynamics, can we not take that same concept and apply it to social learning about how we sit at a restaurant or how we line up, you know, to go to the gymnasium quietly in between classes or whatever? And so they created something called logical consequences, which mimic natural consequences, except for it's about the social order and our social rules of living, not natural laws. Hmm. Um, So an example would be um, we need to sit at the table to have dinner. 
that's how we eat in our culture. If you get up from the table, that is a social indicator that you're being excused from the table and that you're done. So a consequence would be we need to sit at the table um, while we're eating. If you get up, then you're excused and we'll pop your plate away and you'll be welcome to have you know, meals at the next time that food is available. <laughs> and so a consequence for getting up is you're done. Yep. And now the pro- people get that you know, because you see the logical part is it makes sense. If I say if you get up from the dinner table, I'm not going to read you stories at tuck-in. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. They're not well, even connected. Not, it's not logical to the right. child. The child j- just says, you know what, you're out to get me. You just want to ruin my fun. And therefore it's personal and therefore I'm mad at you. And so you might take my plate away and not read me stories, but I am going to you know, pee in the shuffle plant when you're not looking yeah. later. And they will seek some kind of covert revenge to, to retaliate because it doesn't make sense to them. So it's really important when you set up a logical consequence that it be related. It's, it has to have that educative function around our social norms. So let me make, um, let me, so give, let me give it, let me get an example. So yeah. um, if, if my son doesn't practice piano, I probably shouldn't take his phone away. Absolutely. Unless I guess he's on his phone, that's why he's not practicing. Yeah, they have nothing in common. But so, what if if my son doesn't practice piano and that's one of his goals and he likes it, but he just, it's the work that's hard? What would a logical consequence would be we don't do anything else till we've practiced? You might use something called a when then statement. Okay. And a when then statement is, you know, that together you make a plan. For the schedule for the evening. So, you know, we come home, we undo our knapsacks, we have a little snack, then we practice piano, then we have supper. And so you could say in the nat- in the order of how things happen at home, say, you know, when your practicing is done, then I know you're ready for dinner. There you go. That's, that's, that's one example. Now, notice that when I teach, I try to give multiple tools because I don't think there's always right, a no, perfect right. solution. I think there's different solutions. I know with my daughter, I was unwilling to sit and force her to play because this is her extracurricular. And I would say, look, I get that doing the drills, you don't get instant satisfaction and it can be kind of tough. And I say, but you know what? If we can just make a commitment to what we're willing to do each week, and if you really still hate piano by December, then why don't we not renew your, your um, piano lessons? Mm-hmm. But if you're not interested in doing the work, then um, let's cut our losses. And, um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not willing to pay if you're not willing to practice. Right. So, um, you know, and some people some make that say, early you practice. You have to pay. No, right. Your allowance. Yeah. I mean, and, and I, I, I think I think I guess that's the key is it's just it's it's kind of consciously making the decision for what we're going to do. I guess most of us are just winging it. Right. We, we aren't even thinking it through. And I and so again, having these tools and understanding that they're at our fingertips, we have to kind of look at the situation and say, what tool would be effective here? And in the case of consequences, which can be quite good, um, we, not only do they need to be at that logical part, they need to be revealed in advance, which means you can't wait until your son's not practicing and say, right. oh, I just came up with something. Now you're going to have to pay for the lesson. Um, that's that is like being hijacked. You, we need to sit down with our kids in advance of the issue and say, hey, you know, we have a situation here. What do you think would be fair? And we need to include them in the conversation. Um, it's, it's quite fine to say to kids, listen, 
you got a brain. This, we got to work on this together. We need to make up a consequence for this together, and it needs to be related, and we need to agree on it up front. And usually if the child has helped you create the consequence, you almost never have to use it. And, and if you do have to use it, they're not going to be mad at you because they knew it was coming. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, so you said you're going to take out the garbage. What should happen if garbage day comes and goes and the garbage didn't make it to the curb? That's great. Get them to come up with something. Like we're, our brains are old. Yeah, we're, oh, we're totally. not nearly as creative. And when the child is scratching their head, and they're starting now, this is again, it's educative. Like so, now there's stinky garbage for a whole week, and there might get maggots. And ooh, well, that wouldn't be good. <laughs> Like, they've got to start thinking about the implications for their actions. So involve them in creating that consequence. Don't feel you've got all that pressure to come up with it brilliantly on the spot. That's right. And, and again, like you say, it takes away the, the pain of the implementation in a way because, well, this was your idea. You're right. the one that said that you'd go to your room or whatever. They're, no, they're You're not the one. going to take it personally. And that's right. the part about being firm. You're setting the limits and boundaries. You're holding them accountable. But the friendly part is it's not personal. This isn't personal. I'm not yelling at you. I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm just following through on our social agreements. That Again, part of the socializing process. Yeah. Hey, as we wrap it up, um, Allison, talk to us about – just give us like the one thing. If there's one thing parents could do today or focus on today that would make the biggest impact in their parenting to, to kind of bridge the old school and new school, what's that one thing? <laughs> well, of course, I tell every parent, you don't know what you don't know, so go take a parenting class. That's probably my biggest mission to say yeah. there is all this. If you if you take a class, online class, pick up a book, um, you will learn so much. You will find it incredibly empowering. You know, so you'll see that there are some alternative methods. So I think parent education is a huge piece there. Um, and I think the second thing I would say is, if we're going to truly equalize the power structure in our homes, I think the number one um, tool for parents is to start having something called family meetings. And you see these now, even on the TV show Modern Family. It, it, the modern sitcoms are even <laughs> having family meetings. But this is the idea of having like a place of governance where you decide together, where you make rules together, so that you can see things as a way of solving family problems rather than everything coming down to it's a kid who's misbehaving who has to be corrected. Mm. And if we're having trouble getting off the computer without a fight, let's talk about how to do that better. If we're having trouble getting out the door in the morning and being punctual for school, let's talk about how to do that together. And start listening for the ideas that the kids come up with and implement a strategy collectively as a family. You will find you will win so much more cooperation when you take that approach versus the me against you, uh, me trying to discipline you to, to, to do what I say. It, it just completely shifts the whole um, uh, atmosphere of the family, and you will see your kids wanting to be more cooperative. Oh, so true. So true. Allison Schaefer, thank you so much. Uh, great insight. And um, I mean, I think I, I'm now motivated to go figure out a different way to get my help my child co- or co-partner with my child on playing piano. Thank you for giving it the time. Parenting's a big topic and it often gets swept under the carpet. So I really appreciate you giving it the time today. You bet. You bet. AllisonSchaefer.com is the website. Go check out the site. You can find all of her books, plus some of those uh, workshops, those online classes that uh, we all need to take to be better parents. Interesting stuff, folks. There's hope. There's hope, but the hope is in the learning. Um, we want to figure out a way to socialize the kids, not just... Get them doing what we need them to do. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Stick with us.
Well, the mysterious powdery purple substance has been discovered in Nashua Elementary School property. And, uh, Jeff, what are they finding out? It's kind of scary when purple powdery goo or whatever starts to appear on the elementary school. I know, right? I mean, it sounds like something out of a Goosebumps novel. Do you remember those books? Yeah, totally, yeah. So uh, New Hampshire emergency officials are trying to determine how an unknown substance made its way onto school property, prompting a hazmat team to investigate for hours on Monday, still with no explanation. So a large blackish purple substance, as you said, it's in a circle about 10 to 15 feet Wide Ooh. was discovered Monday morning by educators outside of Broad Street Elementary School. School administrators cordoned off the area as a precaution. The city's hazmat team tested thousands of substances trying to find a match. They exhausted all of their tools they had and were not able to come up with the exact substance, oh boy. said Justin Cates, director of the city's emergency management office. They were able to determine at this time that there is really no hazard. It is not really an active or volatile substance. The state's mobile hazmat lab could not identify the substance during initial testing. Uh, School security footage was viewed and no one was seen visiting the area or vandalizing the grass. It's from last Friday. What if it's – I mean – Check the you mentioned lady. the janitor. Like, yeah. what if he has like this really strange foreign uh, deodorant? You know, how some people use that powdery Maybe. deodorant. Yeah, or it's just check with the lunch lady. I'm going to bet this has something to do with last Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday's lunch. Sure. And a bunch of kids went out on the playground. Everybody threw their, you know, their Navajo tacos on the ground. <laughs> and four days later, it turned into a black. Purpley substance. Is it possible it's something extraterrestrial? Absolutely. Of course. Anything's on the table. Especially. And anything, I mean, nowadays, it's, maybe it's a crop circle. Hmm. hmm. Was it a circle? Maybe it's from a crop duster. Maybe a crop duster crashed right there. Wow. It's a crop, it's a crop burnout f- section. Mm-hmm. <sighs> you might be onto something with the lunch lady. Problem solved. Last Wednesday's lunch. Guarantee it. Uh, (laughs) Problem solved. All they have to do is call the Matt Townsend Show, for heaven's sakes. We'll continue solving the problems next hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, along with Jeff Simpson and Terry South. The gang is here. We are locked and loaded Ready to bring you the latest and greatest today. We're going to be talking about how to quit uh, comparing yourself to others. You don't need to compare yourself. You are unique. But it's so much fun. Is it? No, not really. He's so much taller. He's so much faster. Do you remember back in the day when the most important trait wasn't your body? It was just how fast you could run. I don't think that would be important to me unless there was a cheetah chasing me. Yeah. The cheetah. And you just want to be faster, not necessarily the, the fastest. And really, just all I would want to do is get fast to my car and lock myself in. <laughs> I don't While even... you watch the other person that you left behind yeah. uh, struggle. I'm not opening the door 
First one to the car wins. Second one to the car <laughs> feeds the cheetah. <laughs> Make sure you feed the cheetah. And then ironically, you would pop open a bag of Cheetos while you were mm. watching your friend. That's right. Speaking of feeding the cheetah, a uh, lot going on with the NFL and President Trump. Really? Apparently, it's like raw meat. Everybody's going crazy about uh, comments President Trump made basically saying, look, if these – and even, you know, use profanity. Well, allegedly. Well, no. It, it was, could have been anything. I guess, yeah, it was beeped. We couldn't hear it. Could have been Yankee. Nee, I could think we been... actually did know the word. Hmm. But uh, it ended up setting off a, a big problem with the NFL – uh, 200 or so people took a knee where before it was maybe six or so were taking a knee every week. And now 200 took a knee plus uh, the rest of the team's linked arms. Everybody was showing support for each other that, hey, people have a right to express themselves. It was a, it was an interesting display. And, and we learned that from Madonna, by the way. Oh, yeah. Express yourself. By the way, one of your favorite stars, Madonna. And I, I, I can't think of a single thing of hers that I really like. Oh yeah, she has, she was great. She made the eighties, some of the nineties, and then an occasional. She's still around. Yeah, she is. Well, she's in Italy or no Portugal, I think. Are you tracking her movements on your Apple Watch? There? Absolutely. Oh, she just went to lunch. Madonna <laughs> just had lunch. Um, so. <laughs> A lot of stuff going on with that and a lot of, uh, I don't know, just frustration by it. I guess in the end, folks, um, there's there's bigger problems going on. We haven't even been mentioning it, but Caribbean decimated from these storms. Um, people in Panama, nowhere, in uh, Puerto Rico still mm-hmm. looking to just unbury themselves. So remember, there's there might be bigger fish to fry. If if we are going to be frying fish today, also, we'll be doing some empty news. Uh, if you end up robbing a pastry shop, would you not just you go for the money? Sure. But would you not grab a pastry or two? Absolutely. I mean, you're there. You did the work. And then, then yeah. you've got some really nice pastries. Of course you would. Although I personally wouldn't. At this stage of my life, just well, because, because you're, I'm, yeah, you're on a mega diet and you've got to lose two pounds right. in the next. So when I when I rob the store, I'm just going to get the money, get out. You'd actually do a few more squats. Yeah, some leg lifts. I might. I mean, some if the planks. pastries were big enough, I might use them to kind of do some curls. curls. Yeah. Ooh, I love curls. Pastry curls. Pastry curls. Every time you and then every time you lift it, you eat, take a bite out of it, and you lighten your curl every there time. There is that little bit of a greasy residue left on your fingers, but mm-hmm. I can get past that. You know what? A little greasy residue never hurt anybody. Yeah, it's probably not true. I bet you people have died because of <laughs> a greasy residue. Um, also, we're going to be talking about how a man accused um, uh, is accused of removing a railroad crossing arm. Why would you do that? So the the arm of a crossing guard? Not a guard. Had nothing okay. to do with the guard. A crossing. Sounds painful. Like a railroad crossing arm that goes down. The barricade that drops. The barricade. Yeah. With the flashing lights? Yeah. In some yeah. rural small towns, you just have, you know, a retired person just – putting his arm out like this. Yeah, no. Yeah. Okay, you can go. <laughs> yeah, they found that harder to stop the trucks that way. Yeah. 
Those arms just don't hold up. So we'll be talking about those fun stories in the empty news section. Plus, of course, we will get to our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation, find out what's coming up on their show. And we've got a hero story that is a a very, um, I think, a powerful story coming out of the shooting that took place in a Tennessee church this weekend. So we'll be talking about a young, um, I guess one of the, the deacons in the church became the hero of the day by stopping the shooter. Pretty amazing hero story there as well. So we'll get to all of that fun. But first and foremost, Terry, what is going on around the country we should be paying attention to? As we've been, I've been talking about, the NFL players and President Trump, kind of some conflict over the weekend after Trump made some comments about the protest of kneeling during the national anthem. He uh, referred to their mothers in a roundabout way. Oh, really? Um, well, if you take the vulgarity oh, he said to its literal yeah. extent yeah he referred to their mothers um and so they took offense as yeah. you would and it went from six players last week to 200 players this week players locking arms players and owners locking arms it says uh, jacksonville jaguars baltimore raven players they were in london for game one that game was streamed live on yahoo oh wow so it's oh, inter- inter- interesting yahoo. to see what their streaming numbers look like versus a non-president trump influenced week of nfl football uh the players all locked arms some took a knee others stood as the national anthem uh played in solidarity with athletes like colin kaepernick who have come under fire from president trump this weekend team owners and coaches jaguars owner shaheed khan joined the gesture of defiance and trump's critique of kaepernick standing against police brutality and racial injustice in america ravens owner steve biscotti also issued a statement endorsing the athletes right to protest on the field saying we respect our players demonstration and support them 100%. He said all voices need to be heard. That's democracy in its highest form. Yeah. So, but, well, maybe what this maybe what President Trump is doing is a little reverse psychology. Maybe he's trying to unify people, but really just unify unifying them against him. Maybe. Huh. He's well, willing he's, to take one for the team, so maybe to that's speak. what he's doing. He he's taking credit for the He he said it looked good that they were all standing arm in arm rather than on knee, except omitting the fact that the standing arm in arm is a protest against him, probably specifically. Yeah. Yeah. So, I found this in the Washington Post. It says, uh, when African-American sports icon even badgered a president publicly, Jackie Robinson, the hero who integrated Major League Baseball in 1947, spoke out loudly for civil rights and changed President John F. Kennedy uh, and challenged President John F. Kennedy to stop dithering on black equality. Hmm. Unlike Trump, JFK sought to understand Robinson's complaints, corresponded by letter with the baseball star, and met with him to hear his concerns. Eventually, even Robinson, even to Robinson, Martin Luther King Jr. and growing protest movement, Kennedy delivered a landmark speech in 1963 that spoke of inequality in moral terms and set in motion the civil rights legislation that passed the year after his assassination. Hmm. For his part, Jackie Robinson, after having repeatedly disparaged Kennedy, arrived at a new appreciation for JFK's willingness to hear the pleas for African Americans and lead on civil rights. So wow. diff- different sports versus Maybe that's president the interaction. Bring in so instead of keeping Steph Curry out of the White House, bring him in. Sit down with Steph. Sit down with the NFL stars and let's have a talk. Maybe that's what needs to happen. A little summit. Little summit. He criticized the last president for some of the. Yeah. individual summits he had. Citizens of more than a half a dozen countries will face new restrictions on entry to the U.S. under a proclamation signed by President Trump on Sunday that will replace his existing travel ban. The new rules, which will impact the citizens of Chad, Iran, Libya, North Korea, Somalia, Syria, and Yemen, 
Some from Venezuela will go into effect October 18th. The restrictions range from indefinite, indefinite bans on visas for citizens of those countries like Syria to more targeted restrictions like maybe fruit. I'm just I'm guessing on that one. I well, yeah, just some throwing some fruit. <laughs> maybe some fruit. What else? Uh, gas prices. Apparently, they've dropped seven cents in the last couple weeks as wow. refineries bounce back from Irma okay, or from uh, Hurricane Harvey. So it says the past two weeks they've uh, dropped to two sixty two dollars sixty two cents nationally. Industry analysts say the drop comes as flood refineries can come back online. Yeah, gas in San Francisco was the highest in the uh, f- lower contiguous forty eight at an average of three eighteen a gallon. Wow, the lowest was in St. Louis at two nineteen a gallon. So there's a dollar disparity there. There you go. Who knows? Finally, uh, Gatorade has agreed not to make disparaging comments about water. As part of a three hundred thousand dollars settlement reached Thursday with you California water. over allegations it's it's misleadingly portrayed water's benefits in a cell phone game where users refuel Olympic runner Usain Bolt. <laughs> the game downloaded three uh, thirty thousand times in California, two point three million times worldwide. No longer available. The dispute between the sports drink company and the California Attorney General's office was settled in less than a day after the Attorney General filed a complaint in the L.A. County uh, court system. Um, they found a misleading portrayal of the health benefits of water in a way that could harm children's nutritional choices. It says the game encouraged users to keep your performance level high and avoid water, with the character Bolt's fuel level going down after drinking water, but up after drinking Gatorade. Well, you know, sure. You could also have it go up with an energy drink. Okay. Right? So... You could have Bolt. Isn't Bolt an energy drink? Probably. Uh, somewhere. Somewhere, sure. They're not original in their concepts. <laughs> no, here, they're yeah. not. Interesting. Okay, yeah. So don't disparage water. Water, it does a body good. Oh, that's milk. Sorry. Huh. Water just, is horrible for water, the body. Yeah. <laughs> water. Is there? There's no slogan for water. I think water is being misrepresented. Well, a lot of it, I think, has to do with Houston. Well, okay. Water in Houston or didn't Flint. go well. And Flint. Flint, Michigan. Well, but, you know, a lot of water came into Houston. Right. A lot of water came in yeah. from Maria, from it, Irma. In, in uh, Around where I live, it rained quite a bit this weekend. Yeah. My six-year-old, very concerned everything was going to flood. Oh. See? Because I wanted him to be aware that things were happening. So I showed him some Harvey. I showed him some Irma. Oh, you are the devil. <laughs> And he's like, whoa. And so you know he's what? like, Dad, is it going to flood? I'm like, oh. I have a great therapist um, that you'll be able to send him to. He just saw a little bit. He saw enough to know that, you know, life isn't perfect everywhere. That's true. You know where it's not perfect? Can you? Okay. I'm gonna, I will now introduce to you Nightmare 101. Mm. You ready? Let's say you go out to dinner with your boyfriend or girlfriend and their family, your son, and you sit down at a, at a really popular steakhouse. And you feel a sharp pain in your left foot. Ooh. Okay. And you think you've been stung by a bee, maybe a hornet, because it's that painful. I've never seen a bee in a steakhouse. Oh, yeah. They're big. Uh, She tried. uh, So this person, Rachel Merrick, tried to brush it off and keep going, but said that she felt such an excruciating pain as she took the next step that she dropped her cell phone, her wallet, and her 13-year-old son Dylan's hand. This pain was so bad that she felt in her leg. I had my fingers under my foot, and that's when I felt something moving. Oh, no. Yeah. She's, by the way, a, a realtor in um, Fredericksburg. So what was it? 
She had been bitten twice on her toes, once on the side of her foot by roughly an eight-inch-long copperhead snake. A snake. What? That had managed to get into the restaurant foyer. It was still attached to her sandal-shod foot until she could shake it loose. A snake in a Texas roadhouse steakhouse, I think. No, no, no. Longhorn Steakhouse. Sounds like another movie. Yeah. Can you imagine that? Oh. Ah, she screamed. She screamed. Uh, and then she eventually, I got bit. I got bit. And then everybody started freaking out. And anyway, she's okay. Poor woman. Can you imagine? Right when you, so be careful. I'm sure the restaurant is going to pay. Oh, I'm sure. What do you do, teeth. though? I mean, this is a, this is a, this is a scary snake. Yeah. And it wasn't just decor. I mean, you'd expect it. Like, Wait, it was what kind again? And A cotton head. Is that what they're so called? They're... Cotton, cotton head. Cotton, cotton head. Uh, poisonous? Yes or no? Yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, anyway. Copperhead, sorry. But she's okay. Copperhead. Yeah, she's fine. But how fine can you be? I mean, you get That's all excited. That's traumatizing. I don't. Right. I yeah. I you said it earlier on. I think I would have nightmares That's forever. The, That's the nightmare story of the day. We need to start doing those. I know one nightmare story of the day, and we wish her the best of luck, Rachel. And we hope you can get back there and and have a good meal on Longhorn Steakhouse. Mm. I'm sure they. I mean, what do you do now? Do you have to? How do you make sure you don't have snakes in your place what is a snake repellent um a bigger snake probably Hmm. probably a a mongoose i think a mongoose i think they really like snakes anyway what do you do what do you do it's kind of a scary thing um uh now let's do a quick uh touch on the headlines i talked to you about the fact that if you went in to uh rob maybe like a a nice bakery you're not going to want to leave without maybe sampling some of the goods, some of the yeah. baked goods. So, I mean, for me, this is a good time to rob a bakery because I can trust myself to not You're not going take to be, any of right. the, the But actually, the you might want to rob more like a vegetable stand. Yes. Yeah. Because then you can have all the Get the money and want. the vegetables. Because right. you're so health conscious. Um, so, yeah. Authorities have identified a suspect in an Ohio County Fair burglary. I, Why would you rip off a fair? It doesn't seem fair. They're so depressing to me. I don't even want to be there. <laughs> uh, so who, he took a bite out of the best of show baked goods oh, during boy. the heist. So these weren't just, you know, a donut. These were award-winning Danish or the award-winning baked goods. No respecter. So officials say whoever broke into an exhibit at the county fair in Northeast Ohio last week has a masked face, soft fur, and walks on four legs. Well, wow, that is a weird dude. So again, this could be extraterrestrial. <laughs> yeah. So wanted posters are now on display for a raccoon oh, or boy. raccoons. Of course, they go there. Yeah. That's just masked. stereotyping. Yeah, totally. Uh, or uh, what is it called? Uh, profiling. Profiling. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> it, so the like I said, they were judged to be in the best in show among more than 1,000 entries submitted by the 195-year-old <laughs> fair. 
Fair Board Director Paul Harris says the raccoon took a little sample here and a little sample there from seven of the 11 Best of Show entries, including breads, muffins, scones, pies, Come on. and a chocolate cake. Raccoons! That's horrible. I wonder if raccoons could take on a copperhead, a little eight-inch copperhead. I would love to see that. Just throw them down in yeah. a pit, I, well, see who comes someone, out alive. Someone would come out alive. I think in yeah. the end, the snake would win. But those raccoons are vicious. Yeah. And once they're masked and they've tasted the best in show. Yeah. So we talked earlier about how in some small towns, maybe there's a, an old retired gentleman that sticks out his arm to indicate that people aren't to pass. Yeah. The uh, railroad crossing? I don't know of that being true anywhere. No, I think that's not true. But uh, an Indiana man was accused of removing a railroad crossing arm Thursday. Captain Corey Henderson at the Tipton County Sheriff's Office said after receiving a tip, I think he got like five bucks or something, (laughs) he made a traffic stop with a tractor trailer being driven by 22-year-old Kyle Johnson. Johnson told police after a train passed... The railroad crossing arm at State Road 28 did not rise back to its original position. So he removed the bolts and threw the railroad arm into a ditch. Wow. It seems like a dangerous thing. He was taken to jail on preliminary charges of railroad mischief on a level six felony. You, I mean, you had a lot of railroad mischief when you were younger. Yeah. Yeah. And we didn't even have a railroad. But it was never to like a felony level. Oh, I mean, a little bit. I guess we're past the statute of yeah. limitations. Um, it's dangerous. You can't take those down because what about the next car? What about the next car? Yeah. Instead, yeah. you just probably need to go re- reroute yourself and then, you know, call the train people. By the way, I uh, I did some research online as we were talking about this, and there actually is a very effective snake repellent that these restaurants what? might want what? to what? adopt. Uh, let me just play this for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Is this Slim Whitman? The one and only. Nothing gets rid of the copperhead more than Slim Whitman. Indian love call. When I'm calling you. Yep. Now that is an Indian love call. And the Copperheads will follow him out of town. The Copperhead Snake Repellent. (laughs) Good stuff, folks. Up next, we're going to be talking about how to stop comparing yourself with others. Five simple ways straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on BYU Radio. That means I... Welcome back, friends. You know, uh, it's it's hard to live a, in a world where you're constantly comparing yourself to others. It it depletes you in so many ways. So uh, we've asked one of our great contributors, Nicole Cunningham, to be with us. Uh, she has a master executive coach with 15-plus years of coaching and consulting experience. And Nicole has a website, ClarityPointCoaching.com. A lot of times uh, you'll also hear us talking to Kim Giles. And Nicole and Kim are partners at, at Clarity Point Coaching. Thanks for being with us, Nicole. No worries. It's always fun to come in. It's a big deal. And yeah. our little Aussie that's noticing snow on the top of the mountain. Oh, it's so exciting Isn't driving down here and seeing all the snow on the mountain. It's pretty beautiful. People say to me, I'll get over it. 
Uh, don't. You know, give me, yeah. You don't want to. That's true. There's so many magical things like, about Utah. Be in awe. Yeah, it is. It's so fun. That's fun. Uh, talk to us about why do we compare ourselves? Because it seems like a lot of the times we don't come out ahead. <laughs> No. So, no. But, but is this just a human trick? Is What is this? So this is something that's been with all of us, whether you're male or female, regardless of your age, that's actually been there from the beginning. So you learned as a child that you needed to be a certain way, right? Hmm. So do you yeah. remember your parents saying, you don't be like this, yeah, I want you to be like to, this? Yeah, exactly. Right? And then yeah. we went to school and then we started comparing ourselves with others there. There were other kids more athletic. There were other kids that were more smarter, smarter more yeah. beautiful, more popular, mm-hmm. right? Now, we wish we could say that as you get into adulthood, there's less ways in which you can pay yourself to others and feel you know, poorly about yourself. It's not. There's Doesn't actually happen. more ways that we can fail. And a lot of us live our life looking left and right, comparing ourselves to others, because we believe that if we compare ourselves to others, then we'll actually obtain value. But as you said correctly, you always come out underneath yeah. every single time. Well, you will all, every, someone will always be better at something, whatever you're measuring. Yeah. Somewhere yeah. in the world, someone's going to be better than you. Absolutely. So we have to change the way in which we actually determine human value in order for us to feel good about ourselves. And the goal is to feel bulletproof. The goal right. is to, to have this this idea that no matter what happens in my life, because you know what? We don't have control no. <laughs> over what happens in our life. That's, that's one of the biggest delusions we live in, right? Yeah. Is that we have control over anything. So we have to have this, I, this internal foundation of being completely bulletproof so that we can go out there and face it. Mm. Otherwise, we would just want to stay in bed all the time. Well, and it makes right? – I mean, it's it's scary because – and then social media is so much driving comparison as well. Yeah. The, yeah. And you not that it's bad or whatever. It is what it is. But we turn it into a tool to see everything we're not. Yeah, yeah. And then we, we obtain or, or look for the for trying to obtain things like perfectionism. Yeah. Which doesn't exist. No, that's just going to cost So we you. have to completely change the way in which we determine human value. So – my value is not in my appearance, not in what I look like and how good my hair and makeup is today. It's not got to do with uh, how I perform, the money I earn, the title I have at work, the car right. I drive, even how good I am in my relationships. My worth is actually intrinsic. It's inherently valuable. But how do you twist or how do you turn away from the years and years of believing that is yeah. your value. So we we call that a policy, that we made a decision a long time ago about what we thought was true. But really, it's not truth. Mm-hmm. Truth is whatever we decide now for, to be our internal GPS system. So you have the opportunity to completely change it, to find a new system that works for you. So we want yeah. to create a new policy, which is my value is intrinsic. My worth is not determined those thing, by those things that are outside of me. My worth is actually within me. Right. Yeah. It was given to me at birth, and it, it's with me until the day I die. And and regardless of what happens between those two dates, my value doesn't go up and down. My value is always there. It's innate and it's absolute, and nothing can be taken from me. Nothing can be added. Which means if I don't lose my baby weight, or I gain an extra few pounds, yep. or if I do, it doesn't change my value. We have. I guess. I guess what would happen? It doesn't change your value, but your your brain may default to the old thought, and you just need to catch it. Yeah, we, and then we've got say, to make a decision. That's that actually, not. That's against my policy. Yeah. So we have this funny saying in my household where whenever somebody does something or makes a mistake, we go, "It's okay. It doesn't change your value." 
So we were actually cooking yesterday afternoon all this sweet corn because it's, it's the last yeah, of yeah. the season. And um, we actually picked one up and dropped it because I had trouble with the tongs. Yeah. And as I dropped the corn on the, on the floor, I just went to everybody, Oops. you know what? doesn't change my value. <laughs> and it's so it's important great. that my children watch me do that, which means that if I bingle the car on the way back to the office mm-hmm. after this, it doesn't change my value. So right? true. If a bird comes and does its business on my back, it doesn't, doesn't change, change my your value. value. doesn't change the bird's value. Yeah, either. it doesn't either. So we've got to actually completely change the language we're using in our homes and also our, in, our internal dialogue yeah. to say, I am no longer those things. Because if I stop participating in that, what other people do all of a sudden becomes irrelevant. Yeah. And it seems like, too, we could easily say as a parent, we really want our child to have a degree, get a degree. We want you to get education. And we think we want that because that will make them more money and whatever. Yeah. But in reality... We may be setting in their mind that that's important who you are, and that's yeah, and part that of determines it. who you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? How many people think that they are their paycheck oh, or yeah. the car that they drive? Or their title, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, that's great until you lose your title. Yeah. So what we're talking about here is completely changing the policy in which you see the world. And so the way all, you're saying we do that is we just we make a decision. You, you own it. Yeah. You've made a policy yep. somewhere. Yep. And you said that I'm no longer going to value myself in appearance and performance and the car I drive and, and how I feel about myself when I look at others. That's no that's not truth. What is truth is is that my value is intrinsic. I'm mm. one of a kind, a human soul who's here for a purpose and, and who's gonna show up and love. Right? That's who we really are. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems like you need to really drive that home regularly. Yeah, yeah. So we've got to almost make it a joke. Yeah, yeah. Right? These things don't change my value. And when you see yourself comparing yourself to other people, you've got to remind yourself in that moment, you know what? My value's not in these things. Mm-hmm. And I guess you'll know because you'll feel bad. Yeah. If all of a sudden you feel bad looking at your friends on their boat, yeah, on their Instagram page and how tan and fit they are, you're <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in that old policy thinking. Yeah, I have a rule for all of my um, adolescents and my youth clients that if you are triggered in a negative way to feel bad about yourself by anything in your social media feed, unfollow. Yeah, because that's taking personal responsibility about how you decide to feel today. Because no one's doing it to you; that's you right. do it to you. That's right. And it's not just sticking your head in the sand. You're saying, "I'm not going to let that in," because yeah. it may just be one little thing you see on Instagram, but it could impact the rest of your day. Yeah. Absolutely. That's powerful. What else can we do to make sure we don't get sucked into comparing ourselves? So more than anything, the the personal accountability is a really big thing, right? So I've got to focus on the things that I am good at instead of the things that I'm not good at. Yeah. Right? So, you know, people know I'm not good at reverse parking. So a lot of the time I try not to do it. Just don't do it. (laughs) Take it in head first. Um, Some of us are not good at things, right? And, And be okay with the fact that I'm not good at that, but I'm good at other things. Yeah. Right. And again, then you can have some humor in the home around this. Right. right? So if you've got a clumsy child, you go, that's okay. She's just clumsy, but she's so good at. Yeah. Right. Hold that up. Because the easier that we can come to accept our faults, we'll, the easier then we also accept our strengths. And then right. we, we move away from this perfectionism or this idea that we have to be a certain way to be safe and, and sound in the world. That's powerful. And it's because, again, it seems like it's human nature to try to notice what we don't do well in an effort to do it better. Yeah. But it might be better to know all your strengths and focus there. Yeah, absolutely. So do what you can do and right. then let go of the rest. Right. I have this thing where I hit my clients with pens. And it, it's normally quite acceptable in Australia. When I came yeah. to YouTube, yeah. everyone was like, like what are you quit doing? Me. And, and what it is is that I start hitting my client with a pen and they'll look at me crazy. And then they'll, and then I'll ask them, am I hitting you or are you allowing me to hit you? Mm. 
And it's really interesting to hear. And, and just for yourself, you can actually answer that question, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. The answer is, is that you're allowing me to hit you, which means that that's what's happening every day. If you're allowing yourself and your self-esteem to go up and down because you don't, you know, you compare yourself to others and you don't believe your value is intrinsic, you participate in that. Yeah, so absolutely. that one's actually on you. Because you can pull your hand away anytime you want. Absolutely. And say, oh, I won't allow that to That's happen right. to me. I could grab your pen yeah. and start hitting you. Yeah. yeah. So it's the same in our lives. So what, who it is? Who is it that you admire? Because admiration's fine. Mm-hmm. Admiration's with love. It doesn't trigger fear, right? Right. But when you start admiring and then putting yourself down, you've got to be accountable for that. You've got to make the change. It's Yeah. And I guess part of that is... You you need to know that's a choice. Like like some people have never thought through this stuff. No, no, they're just used to feeling and, and down used about to being themselves. Hit by people with pens. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And you know, no wonder you wake up feeling bruised and sore, and you right. don't want to get out of bed, and it's hard today, and you've got this big story about how life is so hard. And right, so true. guess what? If I lived in your boots, it would be hard too. But no, absolutely. you have the power to change it. That's pretty cool. And um, there is great research too that when you focus on your strength, you tend to feel happy. Yeah, absolutely. And why wouldn't you? Because you start succeeding and it becomes Mm -hmm. a self-fulfilling prophecy. And you already have an out, right? Because you already have stuff that you're incredibly good at. And if you know what those things are, you can always defer to those. Yeah. And they'll pull you right out. Yeah. And I think this is a thing about parents, right, is we try and encourage our children to be well-rounded and we want them to keep up. And I think a lot of our times our fear is projected on our children. Mm. We just want them to kind of fit in and be good at stuff. Yeah. Actually, I believe our role as parents is actually to know our children so well, but we know what they're good at, that we then help to create a path that they're going to succeed. And guide them to that path. Yeah. So 18-year-olds who go, I don't know what I'm going to do with my my life. I want to talk to the parents and say, well, you've known him Mm -hmm. the most. Tell me about his character. Tell me what he's naturally innately good at, because that's where we start. Oh, yeah. Right? So That's so powerful. I have... um, I have – all of my kids have taken – everyone in our family has taken a strengths assessment. Yep. So we know from 1 to 24 what our top strengths are yeah. down to our weakest strengths, but they're still strengths. Yeah. And amazingly, we then are teaching our kids the minute you're feeling you know weird or down or less than – Turn to your strength. Absolutely. Turn to your strength every time. And yeah. it's amazing, too, to have everybody know each other's strengths. So mm. we know where to turn. When we need someone creative, we know in the family where to go. Oh, that's When we fun. need somebody yeah. that's spiritual or optimistic or hopeful or perseverant, we know where to go. Love Pretty it. Pretty cool. Absolutely love it's it. It's basic, right? Yeah, but you don't know what you don't mm. know. Matt. No, that's it. Like, that's the big thing. And I think so much, so many of us adults are still participating in this, you know, needing to look left and right for validation. Am I safe in the world that we parent from fear? Yeah. Right? So what you're doing is saying, no, no, we're not going there. We're going to be completely love motivated and we're going to show up um, because we're whole. Our value is not on the line. Absolutely. We're speaking with Nicole Cunningham, a master executive coach. You can find her at claritypointcoaching.com. And uh, today she's teaching us about five ways to stop comparing yourself with others. We will continue that journey in just a minute. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM.
Welcome back. We are speaking with Nicole Cunningham, who is the People Whisperer. She has a wonderful understanding of all aspects of human nature. And you can find out more at ClarityPointCoaching.com. She partners with Kim Giles, one of our other contributors on the show. Nicole, thanks for being here. Oh, it's so much fun talking to you. And you're talking to us about uh, how to stop comparing yourself. Yeah. So we just we just gave a few tips about how we need to completely adjust how we determine human value, that it's yeah. intrinsic. It's not our performance. It's not not in our appearance. It's not in what other people think about us. There's another critical element for this to be successful, yeah. and that is that we have to drop the judgment. Of ourself or others? Of, of others. Yeah. Of others. Because if I want to feel good about myself, I have to put myself in the same position of having the same value as everyone else on the planet, hmm. which means I don't get to have the social commentary any longer or the judgment or projection. Yeah. Right. It, otherwise, if I don't participate and drop that judgment, then I still can be the receiver of judgment, which makes me feel bad about myself. Yeah, interesting. There you go. Right. So many of us are super sensitive to judgment and criticism. I have to tell you, that's that's the thing that com- has me completely undone in my yeah, life. Yeah. Right. If you're too sensitive to it. Yeah. I don't like feedback in general. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's something I have to constantly work on. Now, in order for me to to become more bulletproof about my own failures, I have to stop projecting onto others. So one of the most loving things we can do, not just to heal and make our relationships whole, but but just as a human value, is that we need to stop judging other people. So true. And again, because that then that deflates, that's you living your value of values not associated with, you know, anything, your, your value is inherent. Absolutely. And if I don't play the game of judging everyone's value, then... I'm not going to hold that up. That's exactly right. So it only works if we drop the judgment. It's cool. Yeah. But that's gutsy. Yeah. So one of the best ways to get our kids and and ourselves out of judgment is to actually comment and have three things of gratitude about every single family member each day. Yeah, that's great. So that's a great thing to do. Family home evening, really great time at at dinner time. And so if there's any kind of bickering in the house or you hear someone really whinging about their day, I say whining, sorry, whinging is an Aussie word. Whinging is an Aussie word. (laughs) But whining about their day and they just, this person did this and I was taken from and mistreated and that's when you kind of blow the whistle and you go what we don't do that we don't put other people down because that means that then we don't believe that everybody has the same value right and that's the new policy that we're making as a family so that then all of us can feel good and be bulletproof and and have great self-esteem so instead I want you to to actually revert and reset and what's three things that you admire about that person or three things you're grateful about with that experience? Yeah, that's great. Right? And then I guess you, that puts you back in the driver's seat too. Yeah. It gives you something to go do. Totally. Because a lot of times you don't know what to do, but in your head you want to judge them. Yeah. And, you know, it's such a mind trick in that moment that to then say positive things about that person. Yeah. Right? Because you're feeling da- badly because you've, you're comparing. So you just want to say bad things about them to pull them down a few notches because we're always trying to get rid of that fear and feel okay. Right. So to completely switch it at that moment and go, no, no, instead we're just going to make them feel good. It's the last thing that your conscious mind wants to do. It's so true. <laughs> and we do. You we know? use judgment because it's the way that we can pull everyone down. Yeah. But um, you're saying get rid of that and instead lift everyone up. Yeah. So words of affirmation or even just gratitude. I'm really grateful this person came in and showed me that my, my value is intrinsic and that I don't need to judge their behavior. Just that. That might be the most basic thing you can say. Yeah. Is I'm grateful this person has taught me that. I, I, I really have inherent worth. Yeah. And that my value is not in the line in this moment. Hmm. Boy, right? that's. This, there really is a – it's a shift, isn't it? It's it is. a major shift. And if we want our kids to do it, we have to model it. Yeah. You know, yeah. so many – it's such a hard job as parents. It's not what we say. It's what we do. Right. 
Right. And we because we, we say, you know, you're great. Yeah. But saying you're great is different than saying your value is not in play here. Yeah. I mean, I, I treat so many girls and, and a few boys with eating disorders. And I say, what's your experience of watching your parents about their value? Where do they hold their value? Oh, well, I always remember my mum, you know, trying on six outfits before she left the house. Yeah. But your mum, I'm sure, told you how beautiful you are and how you're amazing. And uh, yeah, but you know what? Her her behavior didn't show, follow didn't up with what came out of up. her mouth, right? So, so this is why we want to give people these really concrete things you can do, right? So remember that your value is completely intrinsic. It's not in your performance, in your appearance, in what other people think of you. And it's definitely um, in that moment, you have the power to control whether you feel bad yeah. um, or whether you're going to reset and recorrect and actually be in gratitude. And you say actually make it a formal policy. Like yeah. overtly look at your policy. Yeah. And and if you do you write it down, I guess. It Absolutely. Might, might not so hurt. my best is always good enough and I don't value myself on those things, mm-hmm. which means that I then also see the value and the truth of, about somebody else and yeah. their worth. And I don't cr- judge them and, and criticize them based on those things either. That's good stuff. Nicole Cunningham's her name. Again, Master Executive Coach at ClarityPointCoaching.com. Go to the website, ClarityPointCoaching.com, and you can get uh, more information about their programs there. Also, you can they have a lot of free, wonderful free stuff. Stuff on there. You can go look through all of those assessments. Nicole, thanks. You're welcome. Good to have you here. Up next, we'll be talking to our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Little NFL uh, talk for you today as we shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. They're preparing for their show, uh, which will be all, I'm sure, sports. Who knows if they're going to be covering what we're talking about. Spencer and Jeremy, are you there, gentlemen? Hello, Matt. Welcome to the Oakland Alameda Coliseum, where today (laughs) the Raiders will take on the Redskins. There you go. I'm Joe Buck alongside (gasps) You sounded like... It, it, it almost, I love that music. It's like, yeah, football, that feel baby. Good? That's powerful. Boy, so uh, what do you think? It was an interesting weekend. President jumped in full force with the NFL uh, kneeling situation. My homies at Diddy Dental told me to take a knee. <laughs> take exactly. a nizzle. A nizzle. <laughs> so, um, boy, it went from like six people protesting over the last few weeks to now 200 uh, were kneeling down along with linked arms from all of these teams. And some teams didn't even come out. Right? Yeah. Yeah, like the Steelers. I mean, yeah, except my, or, uh, minus a uh, Villanueva. Villanueva. three tours in after I know. Army Rangers. That was yeah. a really moving And he thing. stood in the tunnel as opposed to going all the way out. Mm. So to kind of be like, okay, I'm with you in this. We're not out, but I got to come out. I got to come out. I've yeah, been... it's a real interesting, controversial subject, right? Uh, in the past, the teams didn't come out at all for the anthem. Yeah. Which is actually commonplace in many of the sports. Say, like at BYU, the team is not out for the national anthem. The teams are not. They are still in the... Uh, locker room. It seems like it's kind of a smart thing because so much could go go wrong, and so that I mean that would be a place for protest. So why not just go back to the good old days? That that's a question that needs to be decided. Right? Do do you allow the the you know First Amendment rights of protest to happen in that moment, or do you just avoid that situation at all? You can protest how you would want peacefully, yeah. in a different manner. Yeah, I, I don't know what the right answer I know. is here. I know. I don't know that there is. Maybe there isn't one. 
Steph Curry, you're not invited to the White House. Yeah, then the uninvite. And then, and then LeBron gets involved and said, "Hold it! If Steph wasn't coming anyway, there was no, there was no need to take back it's the invitation." It's super weird. It's very petty. It's yeah. so weird. And 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 that bothers me. Yeah. A little bit. Like I, I would just like, I would like the the leader of any group to be the best of the group. Yeah. In character, in decision, patience. Yeah. In, yeah. Tweeting. That, that's all I want out of any given group. Yeah. Seems like an easy thing to ask for. Yeah. And yet we – I mean so you wonder now is the is the Major League – is Major League Baseball going to come up? Is there going to be something now at the World Series some – you know, in a few weeks, a few months? Well, here's the thing. If they wanted to draw attention to it, it's working. Yeah. And President Trump only added to that. So I, I – if they wanted to make a and, movement, and, it, it's it, – all of this has helped it. And it's I'm happening. now confused by what the message is by the kneeling. Now I'm like, I don't even know what the protest is, per se. Is it against Is President it against Trump? Trump? Yeah, is true. It, uh, we need to be unified generally. Is it... Is I, it black I, violence? That, yeah. Is it that's, racial? Yeah. yeah that's, that's when the protest ceases to serve a purpose, when I don't know the purpose. It's, it's convoluted. It's, it's, it's a murky situation. It's, it's not a clear black and white situation. And it seemed like it got worse, too, when you when you were kind of threatening boycotting or suggesting boycotting to people. Just boycott the NFL. That'll make the owners force the players to do certain things. Yeah, no, I think the NFL is going to be just fine because their ratings were unbelievable yesterday. Were they up? Yeah. Interesting. See, it may be backfiring. <laughs> what do you do? What do you do? I, I don't know. It was also a friend's house so that the, your ratings don't count into all of this. That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> Th- then your your ratings aren't aggregated. Um, it it also was kind of a it was kind of a lonely weekend without BYU football. It was a uh, needed bye week, I think, for everybody to one for the team to kind of rest mentally, physically, get ready for what has become the most important game of the season against Utah State because BYU has Boise State and Mississippi State oh, coming yeah. up. If BYU Beats Utah State. That is a great thing. You get a win. You get some confidence. You snap a three-game losing streak. Hopefully score some points, and you go. If BYU loses, huh? they, they could be staring down the barrel of a six-game losing streak. Oh. Because Boise State, who just lost to Bronco Mendoza. Yeah, that was Virginia, interesting. Okay, and Bam Bams went all the way up there. Jealous. <laughs> Mississippi State on the road, who lost over the weekend. Yeah. Worked. You know what I'm learning through the that, transitive those are properties, still tough Jerem? Transitive properties. Yeah, if BYU played Georgia, they'd be in big, big trouble. How much right? did Georgia beat Mississippi Oh, that by? was incredible. I think by like 28 or something like that. That was a thumping. Transitive properties, uh, because BYU's already 57 B- points. BYU they lost, lost by 28. Yeah, so BYU lost by 27 to LSU. LSU was that, lost by 30 something? to Mississippi State <laughs> and Georgia. 28, 28 yeah. yeah. So we are at uh, 85-ish. Yeah, 85. So, so BYU is going to lose 80, by 85 to Georgia. Yeah, tra- 85 boy, that to is, Georgia. That transitive property, that is a big <laughs> deal. That is a big, big deal. So what's on your show, gentlemen? Oh, it's kind of crazy, but it feels like BYU-Utah State is the biggest, the biggest game, game of ever. the season. It is if you want to go to a bowl game. <sighs> it feels that way, right? No, no, mathematically speaking, no. BYU doesn't have to beat Utah State. But, but better. logistically, it sure feels like BYU needs to beat Utah State to feel comfortable about making a bowl game. Right, right. How would a win impact the season for BYU psychologically, emotionally? 
getting to a bowl game. All of those things factor into today's Twitter question. Plus, ESPN's Trevor Maddich and David Nixon on how this must-win is a must-win for the bowl game scenario. <laughs> I'm scared. You guys you? just you just teased me so such a big tease I couldn't handle it anymore. BYU Sports Nation folks, four and a half minutes away, and you will not only get teased, they will actually relieve the tease with some pretty incredible stuff. Spencer and Jerem, you won't want to miss them. Four and a half minutes away. Wow. They make a great point. Like if this was to like try to fix the kneeling down thing in the NFL, it didn't help. They went from six kneelers to 200. And who knows what next week will be. Plus, apparently it looks like some of the ratings went up. So it's working. You know, if they really want to make a difference while they're down there on their knees, why don't they do some knitting? Like knitting blankets for no, some orphans. Say a prayer. Or, yeah, but they just could, do. They could say a prayer I, I think, for the country. I think knitting the blankets for orphans is the better way to go. I just don't think you're going to see that in the NFL. Professional knitters. Hey, our hero of the day. We love to do a little hero story for you as we wrap up the show, always so that you can see that there's good in the world. Uh, Our hero is a young church usher who confronted the masked gunman who shot up his Tennessee parish. He is now being hailed a hero. Robert Engel, 22, tried uh, stopping suspect Emmanuel Sampson from unleashing more gunfire at the Burnett Chapel Church of Christ in Antioch, but was pistol-whipped in the head, according to the Nashville authorities. He's the hero, Metropolitan Nashville Police uh, Chief Steve Anderson said at the press conference. He's the person who stopped this madness. The man reportedly wearing a clown mask opens fire at a Tennessee church. Ingalls' mother was also proud of his life-saving actions. That's like him. He's just someone who cares a lot about people, Rita Engel uh, told the Tennessean. He has all the feelings, all of their feelings at heart. Anyway, he is the hero of the day. Robert Engel, 22-year-old church usher, who really stopped and, and did something a lot of us would not dare do, stopped a man with a gun um, from his tirade. So... Hands out and uh, just, boy, hands up for this guy. What a cool, cool story. Folks, that's the show. We can't do it without you. We're here every Monday through Friday, 9 to noon Eastern. You can also go back and look up our, our on iTunes, on TuneIn, on Stitcher. Go to BYURadio.org. All of the places to find our podcast. Three hours of tools to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier lives. But we'll be back again tomorrow. But stay with us because BYU Sports Nation, they're up next. 